are on air for NASCAR's uh, weekend preview with Hot Topic Sound Off. And this week we are previewing the Daytona Road Course for NASCAR's top three series. So joining me as co-host for tonight's show is Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thanks, Sharon. How are you doing tonight? Doing really well and uh, looking forward to uh, this weekend of racing out on the Daytona Road Course. Uh, I'm going to give an overview here of uh, our night tonight. In our first half hour, Andy, we'll give a few updates for the ARCA, ARCA East and ARCA West series. Uh, none of those series are racing this weekend, uh, but we'll let you know when they are racing next. And then at 840, our guest is an ARCA series driver, Nick Sanchez with Rev Racing, and the NASCAR Driver Diversity uh, Driver Development Program is going to be joining us. And uh, we'll talk to him about his season. He's racing full-time in the Arkham Menard Series this year. In the next half hour, we'll, we'll do a preview of the NASCAR Truck Series race on the Daytona Road Course. That's going to be fun. And uh, to finish up that half hour and our last half hour for the preview show, we'll get into the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series all at the Daytona Road Course this weekend. 10 o'clock, of course, is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our Vampire Racing crew. And, Andy, you know that's always uh, a fun conversation. Absolutely, and uh, certainly looking forward to it because I think we'll have a full crew tonight. So looking forward to that, obviously. really wanted to be on Monday and certainly apologize for that, but glad that we could switch things around a little bit and uh, certainly happy to be here tonight. I know uh, a lot of racing going on this weekend and uh, looking forward to talking about it. Yes, indeed. You were at Daytona last weekend, which was pretty darn cool. Yeah, it was just really thankful for the opportunity um, with uh, the reduced crowds and capacity. It didn't look like it was going to happen until uh, about a week and a half, two weeks out. So, Cool to be there. Um, certainly, um, you know, had some adversity with the delays and everything, but just glad to do it. It's always a special place. You know, that's my third time that I've been there for that race, and uh, it's always special to be there for that. So just just glad it worked out, and now i got to figure out the rest of my schedule, I guess, for this year. But glad to kick it off that way for sure. <laughs> that's a good way to kick it off, Andy. Okay, let's go ahead and get into the next races for the Arkham Menard Series. Actually, the Arca East has the very next race, and that's going to be next weekend. They're going to be racing the Pensacola 200, presented by Inspectra, out at Five Flags Speedway. And uh, that race will be taking place on uh, February the 27th, uh, next Saturday. And that race should start taking place at, uh, let's see, I don't have a time here. Let me look in my notes here. That race will take place at 6 p.m. It will be part of live streaming on uh, the NASCAR Gold Track Pass. And then if you don't have that and you want to watch the delayed broadcast, it's going to be on Thursday, March the 4th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. So you'll want just to definitely set your DVRs. Uh, for that race, because that should be a fun one. Five Park Speedway, Andy, is where they usually have the Snowball Derby. So that's going to be a big deal for the Arca East. 
Yeah, absolutely, and and that's just a couple short weeks out, actually next week, so only a week and a half away, and uh, we'll see some more Arkham Menards East action uh, expected to be a good one for sure, and then they got a little bit of a break after that. So, um, yeah, certainly looking forward to Five Flags. I think that uh, that should be a good one, and the Arkham Menards East series always puts on a good show week in and week out. Definitely. Uh, After that, it's March 12th for the season opener West, and then joining them will be the Arkham Art Series, guys. So that's going to be a big race out at Phoenix Raceway on uh, March the 12th. Now, that race is taking place at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and it will be televised on MAV TV, so fans will be able to watch it there uh, on MAV TV. Uh, and, uh, again, that's going to be a fun race to watch. I'm looking to see if that's that's not going to be on NBCSN. So uh, if you've got to have TV, try to, try to set your DVRs for that if you can't be there for the race. Uh, another fun event at Phoenix Raceway when all the other uh, NASCAR series are at that track. Yeah, I was just about to mention that uh, that's a big weekend of racing. Uh, of course, you've got your national series out there, but uh, it's cool that the Arc of Menards West will be out there. It really, I think, helps elevate the, the exposure for that series and those drivers and teams. So that's certainly one to look out for. And that's their season opener as well. So um, definitely a an anticipated event for the Arc of Menards Series West as they look to get their schedule going here in just one month. Yes, indeed. Now, we know Corey Heim won the first race uh, at Daytona for the ARCA East. Uh, We have a guest, Daniel Guy, that's going to be on our show the Thursday before the race out at Five Flags Speedway. He's very familiar with Five Flags Speedway, so I'm hoping Daniel will be able to help us preview that race at Five Flags Speedway. He's uh, raced that track quite a bit. And uh, we can look for his insight next Thursday night when we preview that race. Uh, Now, also, for those uh, people that are wondering when the Sioux Sheep Showdown is going to start, that starts May 22nd at Toledo Speedway. And that race will take place at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, the Toledo 200, and will also be televised on MAV-TV. So it will be a little while before that starts. Uh, but they will have that 10-race Suchi showdown that will be part of the Arkham and Art Series again this season. Okay, now then. uh, Coming up uh, here shortly, and let me just check my queue and see if he's here yet. He's not here yet, but I know he's coming at uh, 8.40, about three minutes from now. Nick Sanchez is joining us. He's he's, uh, back with Rev Racing for his fourth consecutive year, uh, racing with them, and uh, last year he ra- raced the ARCA East Series and finished third in the series point standings, uh, Andy, and uh, he's back for a full season this year in the ARCA Menard Series, and uh, he's definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, that's impressive. Obviously, anytime you can finish top five in, in any racing series points, you know, final standings is, is is really good, and I think that that experience you know, as he looks to race in the Arkham and Ard series this year, you know, probably prepares him to, to look for even bigger and better things, no doubt about it. So certainly really excited to see, you know, how things go moving forward, but uh, certainly has to be a lot of excitement based off last year's performance and what he can hope to achieve this year, no doubt about it. Yes, indeed. Now, Nick uh, did participate 
in the testing uh, that they did out at Daytona in January. We'll talk to him a little bit about that. He actually raced on the Daytona um, uh, track uh, as part of that testing program. And then, of course, he raced this past weekend out at Daytona with the ARCA Racing Series. It wasn't uh, what he had hoped for. Uh, what happens a lot of times at Daytona is you get caught up in a wreck, not of your own doing, and uh, things don't go according to plan. But I don't think that's going to damper his spirit uh, because he is pretty pumped about this season in the ARCA Menard Series, and there's a lot more racing left to do. So uh, joining us now is Nick Ken Sanchez with Rev Racing and Cars Drive for Diversity Program. And first of all, Nick, I want to say thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me on. Well, we're real excited about uh, you coming on this weekend. I know uh, we were just talking about how you took part in the uh, Daytona testing with the ARCA Racing Series this year. Uh, last year you raced in the ARCA East Series and finished third in the series point standings. Uh, how much of a change was it for you to transition from the ARCA East into the ARCA Menard Series? Um, you know, it, it wasn't really a trend. It wasn't really too much of a transition. Um, I actually got to make a two starts in the Arkham Menard series. Technically, I mean, it was showdown, but technically it was a big Arkham Menard series. Um, the biggest difference this year will be, uh, you know, just upgraded uh, cars, hopefully faster cars, different engine package, and just uh, a different approach uh, race by race. You know, um, going to a one-car uh, team, it will, it'll be good, and there will also be other areas where um, – you know, it'll be a little more challenging being one car, you know, you have, you have one uh, data set opposed to two, but then again, we'll, we'll be able to have more, more hands on deck to work on the car and home, uh, hopefully make it faster. Now, are you still in touch with some of your uh, previous teammates at Rev Racing, like maybe uh, Chase Cabaret or, or uh, some of those guys that raced last year? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, all my previous teammates, uh, even, you know, Ryan Vargas two years ago, Ruben, Chase, Perry, um, Gracie, you know, we all keep in touch. Yeah, so I'm sure that they can be a lot of help to you as well, uh, which is, is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, now, uh, last you'll be racing maybe at a few tracks that you raced on last year in the ARCA Racing Series this year, but a lot of these tracks are going to be new to you. So how are you preparing for the new tracks that you're racing this year? Um, You know, I think many people could, uh, they could catch themselves kind of uh, overthinking it. You know, I'm I'm taking each track I go to um, just as any other track I'd, uh, I'd uh, drive. You know, just trying not to overthink it, you know, watching a little bit of film and uh, just just drive it pretty much, you know, um, you know, each track I go to, obviously it'll be a different speedway, mile and a half, dirt track, but you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to overthink it and uh, try to take uh, each weekend one step at a time. Focus on each track that you go to, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, Nick, joining us tonight is our co-host, Andy Lasky, and I know he has some questions he wants to ask you as well. Oh, of course. 
Hey, Nick. Well, first off, welcome to the show. Certainly uh, happy to have you on here and uh, kind of getting things going with my side of the questioning. Uh, you've got the same crew chief, Steve Plattenberger, as you did last year in the Arkansas Menard Series East. Is that correct? Yes, that is. And that's a, that's probably a really good thing. And I'm curious what your relationship is like with him and certainly being able to carry that chemistry over from last year. And when you look at the amount of vast experience that he has in the sport, what's it been like to work with him and what do you hope to accomplish as the year progresses? Even though it's a little bit different division, uh, with it being the Arkham Menard series, certainly keeping that team and, and crew chief together has to be a big deal this year. Yeah, you know, having uh, Steve as my crew chief at the track, you know, it's definitely a big help because you know he's one of the he's one of the people I have confidence in. When he makes a change, I don't I don't second guess it, I don't overthink it. So that's definitely something good to have in your corner as a driver. Um, and as far as goals for this year, you know, I I just want to win. Um, I feel like last year, you know, we just weren't really, especially with the pandemic, we weren't really able to piece together all the pieces to the puzzle, really. But uh, I mean, you know, I've never, I've never been more confident going into a season. And even after a, a race like Daytona that had its highs and lows, and evidently ended up with us wrecking, you know, just getting caught in a Daytona wreck. You know, even after a situation like that, I still have the utmost confidence in our team and our race cars. You know, it should be noted, too, looking at your six races last year, four top tens and two top fives. I mean, that's that's great numbers, you know, certainly for just running one season uh, in the Arthur Bernard Series E. So it's got to give you a lot of great confidence going into this year. Um, and speaking of which, what tracks are you looking forward to most this year? Obviously, a little bit bigger speedways, uh, maybe places you haven't been to before, but uh, which places do you look forward to most and, and which do you think might present the biggest challenges as you look ahead? Um, you know, I, I, you know, I love every track on the schedule, but I would say the ones I'm most excited for would probably be the mile and a half. Um, that's something I really haven't, uh, I really haven't dipped my toes in. And, uh, that's definitely, that's definitely probably the most useful, useful, uh, how, how do I put it? You know, it, um, kind of progressing up through the ranks, you know, trucks, Xfinity, and hopefully to cup, um, learning how to run a mile and a half will be the most useful, uh, I guess you could say data set for my career. Um, it, it's something that I've always been anxious to do. And I, you know, mile and a half make up the most, most of the truck Xfinity and cup series schedule. So um, once you figure those out, you, I wouldn't say you're set, but you're pretty close to it. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, do you have any timeline yet as far as what things look like uh, for career progression or are you just focused on one season at a time one team at a time and and hopefully things go the, the way you hope to in the future um obviously you know I've, I've always uh i've always been working hard to try to find partners um to progress through the ranks but as far as this year i'm i'm really focused on our program and what rev racing and max eagle have uh given me and uh you know i'm hoping uh, if we put some good results on the board, the rest will come. Yeah, absolutely. Well, certainly, you know, a lot to be excited about, you know, especially based off what you're able to do last year. I think that gives a lot of people something to look forward to this year. So um, appreciate you taking the time to answer my questions. I'm going to hand it back to Sharon as she's got a few more for you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Okay, Nick. Uh, I want to kind of get into the NASCAR Drive for Diversity 
and their diversity program. This is your fourth consecutive year with Rub Racing as a part of that program. And and you took part in the Combine again this year, right, to earn your spot? Um, no, the, no, the Combine this year was, uh, you know, they, they held a more private test for the for the late model and legend car drivers, but uh, I did not take okay. a place in the Combine this year. Okay. Okay. Then let's let's go a different direction. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about uh, how the Drive for Diversity program, what it means to you in your career, as you as you've been racing with Rev Racing and have having the opportunities that you've had with them. Um, you know, it it's a great program. I wouldn't be speaking to you right now if it obviously wasn't for the program and the success they've had. Um, coming out of carts, uh, I obviously went to legend cars with them, you know, uh, did two seasons in a late model and they gave me a shot in the ARCA car. So, uh, I really think the program is, uh, it's kind of shifted from, uh, combine related to more driver development orientated, you know, to where they, you know, they have a rough season and they still will stick with you and develop you. So, uh, I think that's the most important thing. And if you look, uh, probably their roster of drivers, how it's transitioned the past six years, you know, the past probably three or four years ago, you know, most of the drivers probably average ages 21, 22. Now you look at it, um, I'm the oldest at 19. So uh, (laughs) they're definitely focusing on the, on the younger uh, developmental side of things, which is great because, you know, there's nothing more, there's nothing more helpful for a driver um, than good development. Absolutely, and 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 thinking about the, the development that you've had over the last four years, what's been the biggest learning curve for you, in the uh, in the drive for diversity and and the training program and the development program that they offer you? Um, the biggest biggest challenge would probably be driving an oval. Um, before I came in the before I entered the program, I had never seen or driven on an oval. You know, I spent my three and a half years in karting strictly on road courses, um, mm-hmm. obviously in a go-kart. So, I mean, this rev racing and drive for diversity, you know, they gave me the opportunity to drive on an oval, which is kind of funny, but I would say that's definitely the biggest, uh, biggest challenge I'll face with. Okay. And then they also work with you from, from a media perspective as well, social media, uh, things like this, being on the radio programs and so forth, uh, they they work with you on that. That's all part of the package, right? Yeah, and you know that's another area where they really develop me in uh, just being able to talk to talk to uh, talk shows and you know just media in general. They did a, I would say, a very good job. Yeah, I think I think it's a, a fantastic program, and I think Rub Racing. Uh, is just incredible with what they do with the drivers that come through uh, that program uh, through their organization. Uh, and uh, you've got to feel really good about having four years with them. Yeah, you know, uh, being with the team for four years, I definitely know the ins and outs of the program and the day-to-day, and it really helps me as a driver just make sure everything I do is to the max pretty much. And if you were to give some advice to other people that are considering uh, the Drive for Diversity program, what would be your your advice to them? Um, you know, apply. Don't be afraid to apply. You know, even if you might not think 
you have the accomplishments or the statistics or the accolades to uh to get in you know you never know i mean i i had seven wins to my name when i applied in three and a half years you know i'm not like i wasn't a good driver but uh you know i wasn't uh i wasn't a star of any means you know i just kind of applied and the rest is kind of history so uh, i would just biggest advice is just apply Oh, okay. I think that's really good advice because sometimes people are afraid to do that part, and that's the most important part is is to take that step. So I think that's real good advice. Um, now, Nick, when um, uh, you come into this season uh, in the ARCA Racing Series this season, uh, it's a it's a little bit bigger program than what you've participated in in the past. Twenty races this season. Uh, uh, how are you feeling about the length of the season and all of that? Um, I'm excited. You know, uh, I like I like long seasons. You know, I, I'm not one to really uh, run a couple races here and there. Uh, definitely, it, it's definitely going to be a points game, which obviously we put ourselves in a little bit of a hole at Daytona. But the good thing is, you know, that's one race out of 20. So we have... 19 more to make that up. So that's, that's the good part about having these lengthy seasons, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. You know, just racing six or seven weekends last year, you know, knowing that I'll be able to race more than three times that, uh, it'll definitely help me as a driver and, uh, it, it'll be fun. Yeah. And I think it's probably more diverse than what you've driven on in the past as well, because you've got dirt tracks, you've got road courses You've got the 1.5-mile tracks that you talked about, the short tracks. You've got a little bit of everything with ARCA. Yeah. um, You know, racing late models, you know, one of the things that I don't want to say that I didn't like about it, but, you know, going to the same track most of the time, you know, I don't want to say it got old, but, you know, there's nothing new. There's really no real new challenges that are going to be thrown at you. And having the diverse schedule like what we have, it's super exciting. The unknowns going into the weekend but also the learning experience I get out of it. Okay. What's going to be most challenging for you this season? Um, huh. I think patience. Um, you know, some of these races are a little longer than what I've run. So, you know, I just got to, I don't want to say gear my head towards it, but, you know, I just got to, I got to be patient on the track, you know, just, uh, kind of use the full full length of the race to my advantage and not not try to win it on the first lap or even the second. Nick, I think that's an excellent point because a lot of drivers, when they're first uh, getting into these longer races, uh, they get very anxious, and, and patience is probably the hardest thing to learn and uh, to take care of the car so that you have it at the end of the race and and uh, be able to be there for to go after that victory. So uh, I think that's an excellent point. Um, I'll tell you what, Nick, we've really enjoyed chatting with you tonight. We hope you'll come back and chat with us again down the road here and uh, stay in touch with us throughout the ARCA Racing Series uh, this season because uh, we really enjoyed uh, chatting with you tonight. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, now, Nick, before you go, what's the best way for fans to keep track of uh, what's happening with you? And if you're doing, are you doing any other racing besides ARCA this season? Um, no, 
No, not that I know of at the moment. Okay. What's the best way for fans to... All my social medias are at NickSanchez080 and my team's page, which you'll get race updates and whatnot, is uh, at RevRacing. Okay. Well, uh, again, thank you so much for being on the show. We've had a, a good time chatting with you. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation, and uh, uh, we wish you the best. Uh, your next race is actually at Phoenix. That's a short track. You're going to feel pretty comfortable there, won't you? Oh, yeah, that's a track that I ran last year, and knowing what I could do better and knowing what improvements we're going to with a car, you know, I'm extremely confident going into that track. Excited. Yes, so we are too, and very excited for you. So, uh, again, stay in touch, and uh, we wish you the best out at Phoenix and down the road here. Thank you very much. Okay, take care, Nick. All right, that is Nick Sanchez. He's driving the number two for Rev Racing, and uh, very well spoken there, Andy. Yeah, absolutely, and you know it's fun to it's fun to talk to drivers, you know that are that are just getting their stock car careers going, and you know I think that based off what results he was able to do last year, like we talked about when we talked to him. You know, I think there's there's a lot of reasons to be excited about this year, and so, um, you know, I you know when you consider he has a veteran crew chief and a, and a team that has really made such a big impact on the Arkham Menard series, um, there's a lot to look forward to this year, and I think there's no reason to expect that uh, maybe we'll get a chance to talk to him after some victory lane celebrations this year. Absolutely, absolutely, in our winner's circle, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, Definitely looking forward to that. Okay. Uh, We're going to get into – we're going to move on to the NASCAR Truck Series. They are going to be racing this weekend on the Daytona Road Course. I'm so excited for this, Andy. Um, We weren't expecting this so early in the season, but here it is. And uh, we'll take it. And I think it's really good for the drivers uh, because they're already in Daytona for the Daytona 500. So now they get to kind of stay on uh, a little longer and uh, take in the road course as well. So the Camping World Truck Series will be racing the Break Best Pads 159 at Daytona presented by O'Reilly. Uh, on the road course this Friday, that's tomorrow night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, the broadcast will be on Fox Sports 1 starting at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and radio listeners can tune in to MRN and SiriusXM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 158.85 miles. That's 44 laps. Uh, Stage 1 will end on lap 12, Stage 2 on lap 25, and stage the last stage, stage three, ends on the last lap, which is lap 44. So uh, a lot to look to here with this uh, uh, truck series race that's going to be taking place uh, tomorrow night. Yeah, it really is, you know, and it should be noted that um, this is, for the first time in a long time, maybe the first time ever, they'll have four road courses on the schedule this year. Um Yes. You know, every season every season from from 95 to this year, which is the inception of the series, 
um, except for there was a, a stint between 01 and 2012. Uh, the truck series has had a road course on the schedule in some form. Um, and certainly, you know, it, truck series, of course, is known for short track racing, but the road courses have always played a pivotal role in the truck series. But um, the fact that there's four on this is going to be just amazing. Um, you know, you've got uh, Daytona, of course, this weekend, Circuit of the Americas, Watkins Glen, and Canadian Tires. So certainly really excited about that, and we all get it started this weekend. Yes, indeed. And I know these guys are looking forward to it as well. They raced on the road course at Daytona last August. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about this as we go through our preview. Uh, but some notes here. Uh, Riley Erbst is going to be back in a truck this weekend. He's joining David Gilliland Racing this Friday. And uh, he's going to be in the number 17 Ford. Uh, he has eight career starts in the Camping World Truck Series, and his best finish was a third at Talladega Super Speedway in 2019. So really happy to have Raleigh Earps behind the wheel this weekend of that 17 board. Yeah, and I think it's a smart move um, on his part, you know, as he looks to prepare for the race on Saturday, which is his full-time job. I think racing that truck tomorrow night gives him a lot of uh, extra time and, and experience that will certainly help him on uh, Saturday as well. Yes. Yes, indeed. Another driver making his debut this weekend uh, for Nice Motorsports is Jet Nolan. Uh, they announced that he's going to be racing a partial schedule in the truck series this season, and he's making his debut this weekend at the road course. He's slated to run six events. Uh, he was supposed to run those six events last year, but with the COVID-19 pandemic, it was delayed. So he's going to, in addition to the Daytona road course, he's going to race at Richmond. He's going to race at Circuit of the Americas, Bristol, Martinsville, and Phoenix. He's also participated in a Trans Am series last season, and he captured the TA2 Rookie of the Year honors. He's also participated in the Southern Super Series and the Super Late Model events. So uh, excited to have Jet Nolan on board this weekend as well with Nice Motorsports. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be uh, fun to see a new driver uh, enter the series. I don't know that he's ever driven a truck before, so that's um, you know certainly something to look forward to and you know something to be excited about as far as seeing what he can do. Absolutely. Another driver, another big announcement this week, Parker Chase is joining Kyle Busch Motorsports this weekend. He's making two starts for the organization in that number 51 Toyota, and he's making his debut on the Daytona Road Course tomorrow night. He's also going to compete on May 22nd at Circuit of the, of the Americas, and uh, uh, he also competes full-time in the IMSA Michelin Pilot Challenge, he was a teammate of Kyle Busch in the Aim Bastard Sullivan number 14 entry in the Rolex 24. So now, Chase, uh, he earned a top 10 finish in his Arkham Menard Series debut on the road course last year. So it's going to be fun to see what he does again this year on the road course. Yeah, it should be noted, you know, that he has, you know, road racing experience, and this is what he's certainly been doing in the past. And so, um, you know, while it, it may be his first time in a truck, you know, this is not somebody um, to take lightly. I think also when you consider that he's in a KBM truck. So certainly this was somebody that I had even thought about picking for my fantasy picks. I didn't do that, but this is someone you have to watch and I think can 
certainly uh, turned some heads this weekend for sure. Yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, I think quite a few of these drivers uh, that we we didn't really think about uh, when we were picking our fantasy picks uh, could be spoilers this weekend. And he's he's certainly one of those people. He's very familiar with the road course at Daytona. Um, okay, now let's talk now about what Marcus Lamonis is doing. He's the CEO of Camping World Truck Series, and he's announced some bonus money prizes uh, this season in the Truck Series. So the first winner of some of that bonus money, he got a total of $500,000 in cash prizes for the series this year, and Ben Rhodes was the first winner when he won the Next Era Energy 250 last weekend. So he was given a $25,000 driver bonus, and then the team was given a $25,000 road crew bonus. So that's pretty cool. Uh, for the rest of this season, it looks like for cash prizes from Camping World, the team leading the Truck Series Driver Championship Point standings after Kansas Speedway will receive a fifty thousand road crew dollar road, road crew bonus, and the team leading the Truck Series Driver Championship point standings after the Knoxville race will receive a seventy five thousand dollar road crew bonus. At the end of the Camping World Truck Series season, uh, Camping World is going to award the team. Uh, that leads the most laps during the season with a $50,000 driver bonus and $25,000 road crew bonus. And then the championship truck series driver will receive an electric pickup truck and a Lordstown electric class ERV. Exciting is that? Yeah, you know, I just have to say, Marcus Lemonis does so much for the series. Camping World has been involved for a long time now. And, and just the amount of generosity and the amount of programs they've been able to do over the years has been really cool and, and really fun to see. And, you know, I know this, this can create excitement too. I know Ben in his post-race interview said that there would be an incentive for them to, to try to lead the points as long as they can to try to, you know, continue to get those bonuses as the year goes on. So um, it's just cool to see what Camping World has done, you know, over the years and, not just sponsoring the series, but also in its generosity towards rewarding crew members and drivers alike. So certainly a really exciting program, and it's going to be fun to see how this pans out throughout the season. Yes, indeed. Now, in addition to what I just told you about, there's a $100,000 fund for incremental bonuses or for team needs throughout the season. So if, if Camping World requests that if a truck series team or driver needs any help securing sponsorship or has an interest in exploring, exploring business-to-business opportunities on behalf of a potential renewing partner to reach out to NASCAR uh, through the Camping World Trucks at NASCAR.com email address. So there's money there to help any team that needs that extra support uh, through Marcus Lamonis uh, and Camping World Truck Series as well. I, I think it's just fantastic what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's look at uh, the Sunoco Rookie of the Year uh, update for the Camping World Truck Series. Uh, there are actually about six drivers that are competing 
And at the end of the Daytona race, uh, Andy, Chandler Smith is on top by 37 points, five points over Carson Hosevar. Yeah, he's up as the leader um, with Carson Hosevar in second. As you just said, we've got uh, Chris Wright, Haley Deegan, who I know we'll be looking at um, closely throughout the season to see what kind of progress she makes. She uh, stands right behind Wright. Chase Purdy and Tim Vines um, close out the rookies. It's a pretty stout rookie class. I expect some pretty big things from several of these drivers, and I think that it could it could be a, a pretty close battle when it's all said and done. I don't really see anyone on here that stands out to me as the clear-cut favorite. I think there are several favorites for that rookie of the year battle. Yeah, we've seen this in the past where it changes back and forth throughout the season. It's kind of fun to watch. Uh, to see, you know, who's on top by the time we get to the end of the season. So I'm sure it's going to be like that in the truck series this year. Uh, So definitely keep your eye on those six drivers. Uh, Chandler Smith is certainly going to be a tough competitor uh, for that title. Also, Sheldon Creed is returning. He's our NASCAR Truck Series champion uh, from last year. So he's going to be back again. Uh, to compete at the road course this year. He's also the road course winner from the race there last August. So he's going to be tough to beat. I was about to say, um, he, he's demonstrated his ability on the road courses, and the fact that he is the defending winner and the defending champion, I think probably makes him one of the favorites without a doubt for this weekend. So um, somebody was able to snag him in a fantasy pick. I forget who it was. <laughs> But, um, you know, certainly that person looks pretty smart because I think that uh, they've got a great chance to, to get some points this weekend for sure. Yeah, I think that was Jay, and he I think he was shocked that uh, it was able to get to him and he was able to pick him. Uh, but Mike, who picked last, he took Rafael Lassard, who finished third last season. Matt Crafton finished fourth. Austin Hill finished fifth. Tyler Ankrum was sixth. All of those guys are returning to the road course as part of uh, the Camping World Truck Series full campaigns this year. And in all, 20 drivers are returning to compete in their second road course race at Daytona uh, this weekend. So that's going to be huge. Yeah, absolutely. And um, now I should mention real quick that my pick was John Hunter Nevacek, and we know he's competitive on the road courses. How can we forget the um, – the incident with Cole Custer up in Canada and he was up front contending for that win. And so although he hasn't been in the truck series for a while, I do think that he'll be up there as well, which is why he became my pick for this race. Oh, okay. Yes. I think that's a, that's a very good pick. Um, And Brett Moffat, whoever picked Brett Moffat has a good pick there with him as well. Uh, Brett has got a, uh, he's starting 21st. But I don't think that's going to slow him down. I think he's going to get to the front pretty quickly. And Creed is slated to start fifth at the uh, road course this weekend. So just some notes there with regard to uh, Sheldon Creed coming back to defend his win there last August. Okay, there's a little bit of history here with our next segment, uh, Andy. Uh, going all the way back to 1995 and road course racing in the Camping World Truck Series. Uh, Ron Hornaday's name is on there quite a bit. Uh, Mike Skinner, Dave Resendez, Joe Rutman, Ron Fellows, Stacey Compton, Boris Sud, 
those are some names we haven't heard in a while. Stacey Compton, Greg Bissell, Mike Bliss, Andy Houston. But then we get to some names that we've heard recently, like Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, Eric Jones, John Hunter Nemechek, Austin Sendrick, Justin Haley, Brett Moffat, and Sheldon Creed. Now, of those that I just named, beginning with Chase Elliott from 2013, those were mostly wins on Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. Uh, but the last one, Sheldon Creed, his win came on the Daytona Road Course. So a lot to look forward to uh, with some of those drivers in this race this weekend. Yeah, there is. And, and certainly there's only one Daytona road course race to go on, which was last year. Um, yeah. But um, I, I do think that a lot of big names on there, certainly looking back over the years. Uh, and, um, you know, I think that uh, there's going to be several contenders, in fact, several contenders that have won previous road course races, uh, like such as Moffitt and, and Nemechek are in the field for this one, too. So that you've definitely got a full field of trucks that can contend for this win on Friday night. Without much doubt. Now, we've got a little extra time here, and I know I sent uh, some other notes, some things to watch for uh, this weekend uh, at the Daytona Road Course. Uh, There's a total of 38 different drivers that have competed in at least one Camping World Truck Series race at the Daytona Road Course. So uh, that's kind of an amazing stat when you think about it, uh, especially considering what you just said, that there's only been one other Daytona Road Course event. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, so definitely an interesting number there for sure. Um, And, you know, we're going to add to that this weekend as well. Okay. Uh, Also, drivers Bobby Kennedy, Brian Collier, Chris Wright, uh, they all made their first career NASCAR Camping World Truck Series at the Daytona Road Course in 2020. So uh, some of them are returning back this time uh, for the second go-around with that. And I saw another name. Oh, that's actually the Xfinity Series, so I'll bring that up again later. So uh, we'll see what those guys can do this weekend. Okay, let's see. We kind of went over that point. Um, Three active drivers have won at least one race on a road course in the truck series. Uh, And we brought up some of those names earlier. Uh, Sheldon Creed, John Hunter Nemechek, and Brett Moffitt. A total of six drivers have at least one lap at the Daytona road course. Uh, And Sheldon Creed leads the truck series in laps led uh, he led 19 laps in August, and uh, the margin of victory in that road course in August was pretty darn close. Did you see that, Andy? I, I don't believe that I did, no. Um, you know, I think the fact okay. that he led 19 laps, though, is, is quite impressive. I mean, that's a that's a pretty dominating performance. I, I'm trying to recall if I saw that race or not. Um, it certainly would have been one that I would have tried to see, but um, I'm not sure that I did. But uh, close finishes, of course, are are pretty pretty common nowadays, especially on races like this. And I, I think that if that um, – I know it's a different series, but if that Bush Clash was any indication last week, you know, we could see something similar with the truck series Friday night as well. Absolutely. 
that margin of victory, by the way, was 0.743 seconds. So uh, it was a close one. And, uh, you know, I think road course racing, Andy, uh, has become some of my favorite racing all season long. So I'm glad to see NASCAR expanding on the road course races. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And in, in fact, I, you know, for the last probably few seasons now, I've, I've felt that, you know, the more short tracks and road courses, the better. And, and, you know, I think that a lot of fans have felt similarly about that. And certainly uh, NASCAR listened and um, they, they gave us a pretty, you know, a pretty decent shakeup in the schedule this year across the board for the top three series. And, you know, for example, the truck series racing on four road courses, I'm not sure they've ever done that before. And you'll see seven cup series points paying road course races plus the Bush Clash. So that's eight road course races. That's unheard of. Our previous most was three before this season. So um, it's cool to see it because I, I just think that they have really put on some great races in recent times, no matter what the facility is. And uh, you've got to expect that we're going to see more of that. And I think it also opens new doors for other people to win races that we might not have otherwise seen, uh, as we know that there are, you know, multiple drivers that are exceptionally good at road course racing. And it's going to open some opportunities uh, for some teams to get into the playoffs that uh, we may not have otherwise seen. That is so true. Um if if we now look at the uh, series point standings, Ben Rhodes, of course, was the winner last weekend at Daytona. Uh, he was so happy and so excited to finally win that Daytona race. It's it's what every driver dreams of doing, and when that finally happens, it's uh, I'm sure that a sense of relief as well as a, a, that sense of uh, elation and joy. Yeah, absolutely. Um... I think it validates some things too. Team change manufacturers over the off season, uh, a new crew chief and a new spotter for, for roads. And, you know, when you go into a new season, having made so many changes, it, um, it, you know, it can probably be a little apprehensive at times. And so, you know, for them to, to be able to come out of the gate with, with a win really sets them up nicely for the rest of the season uh, to know that they're locked into the playoffs. And so, Obviously, a huge win, and, and like you said, too, it's Daytona. It's the biggest race for the truck series. It just doesn't get any better than that, and there's just no better way to start the season off than, than to do that. Absolutely. Now, Sheldon Creed and John Hunter Niemicek are actually tied in second and third place. Uh, behind them is Chandler Smith, uh, 10 points behind uh, the second and third place guy and then in fifth place is Grant Infinger at 36 points he's just one point behind Chandler Smith so those points are fairly tight there 15 points from first to fifth yeah they are it's it's incredibly tight and of course we're we're sitting at uh, just one race in but that is very tight and I kind of look at this race as another potential wild card race like Daytona and we could see those points shake up and, and change quite a bit here in the next uh, in this next race so it's going to probably we'll see quite a bit of movement yeah i think you're right i think i think uh we've got a lot to look forward to with these road course uh this weekend and uh, uh i know fans uh, are definitely looking forward to it i know we've got a hot topic about the rain delay at uh, daytona this weekend 
and uh, viewership on uh, that race. But I think there's a lot of factors that play into that. I think a lot of people will be tuning in this weekend to watch this road course race. Uh, let's just pray that we don't have rain, Andy, or snow or anything else. Well, yeah. Well, so far, so good. I think uh, if, if what I'm looking at is to be true, which, of course, it is the weather forecast, but uh, I think we might see some rain for the truck race uh, for Friday night, but that's okay. It's a road course, which could make it pretty exciting. Um, and then I think that, Saturday oh, and Sunday true. look pretty dry. Um, so thankfully they've got rain tires and, you know, as long as there's no lightning, they can go racing. Um, so might actually get to see, uh, at least one of the races be run in the rain, but I think Saturday and Sunday look really good at this point in time. So, um, hopefully things go off as planned this weekend. Okay. Well, thanks for that weather update. <laughs> That that's always helpful as you as you consider the weekend up ahead. Okay, let's move on to the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Uh, they're racing the Super Start Batteries 188 at Daytona, presented by O'Reilly, uh, and that race will take place Saturday, February the 20th at 5 p.m. Eastern. Fox Sports One will carry the uh, broadcast starting at 4:30 p.m. And radio coverage will be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing a distance of 187.72 miles. That's 52 laps. The first stage ends on lap 15, the second stage on lap 30. So those first two stages are 15 laps apiece. And then the final stage ends on the last lap, lap 52. So uh, uh, it'll be uh, an eventful uh, race for sure. Now, N- Natalie Decker is uh, moving up to the Xfinity Series for her debut this weekend. Yeah, she'll be driving uh, for RSS Racing in partnership with Rayum Brothers Racing. It will be the number 23 Ford, and that's a car that uh, actually finished 10th with Jason White last week. So um, that car was actually pretty fast, if I remember right. They were up front a fair amount. So um, it's a good car, and it's a good team, and it's a good opportunity for her to take that next step, obviously, um, she will be sponsored by uh, Christian music label Red Street Records, which was formed by uh, Jade Marcus of country music group Rascal Flats. Decker has made 13 truck series starts. That was in 2020 for Nice Motorsports. She's driven prior to that as well, of course, but she drove 13 races for Nice last year and will run a limited schedule this year in the Xfinity Series. Um it's gonna, you know, that's an exciting step for her. Obviously, any driver that can that can make that next step to the next series um, and make some progression, you know, that's a good thing certainly. And you know, I'm sure that she's got to be pretty excited about it. And um, you know, I'm sure she's looking forward to it. So it'll be interesting um, to see what kind of um, what kind of um, progress she makes. And you know, obviously, it's all about learning and and trying to um, you know do the best that you possibly can and I'm sure, um, you know, for her and her team, they they got a lot to be looking forward to this weekend. Absolutely. And I think it's about finding where your niche is as well. Some drivers are more suited to the uh, truck series. Some drivers are more suited to the Xfinity series. And uh, you never know. We might find that Natalie's more suited to the Xfinity series, uh, and that might be where her niche is. So we'll definitely keep an eye on her this weekend. Now, this next segment here, uh, we had Joe Graff Jr. on the show Monday night, and uh, we talked to him about uh, the fact that Antonio Williams 
He's with the Buffalo Bills. He just completed his rookie season there. He actually is sponsoring and uh, has developed a partnership with Joe Graff Jr. this year, and he's committed to helping him uh, expand on his relationships within the sport. He plans to bring some new interest and even sponsorships to Graff. He's already done that, in fact, uh, with Z-Grills. And so... uh, uh, this is kind of a pretty big deal because you'll see there's some other teams that are doing this. Uh, Williams is going to be actively involved in the business side of things, and he plans to attend racers as a huge supporter of Graf, uh this season. So you can look for Antonio Williams uh, to be at the track uh, behind uh, Joe Graf Jr. in that number 07 uh, SS Greenlight Racing Machine. I don't know how you can't be excited about this. I think it's an incredibly good thing to see interest from other sports uh, members from other um, other sports. You know, <laughs> sorry, there's not a better way to put that, but it's, it's cool to see interest from. Yeah, it's cool to see interest from from people. You know, from the NBA, like Michael Jordan and Antonio Williams from the NFL. Um, it's nice to see that there's outside interest in NASCAR and it's nice to see um, that it's people from other uh, forms of sports. And it's incredibly exciting because I think it's really going to, to open the sport to some new faces and and some new eyes on the sport. Um, People that may have otherwise not even watched the NASCAR race before that are fans of the Buffalo Bills and fans of Antonio Williams may watch a race because of him and his involvement in the sport. And so that's why this is so important to see new interest because I think it's really going to get more and more people involved in the sport. And obviously the more people we have interested in racing is a good thing. So this is, this, these are big moves and you know, this is, this is definitely exciting things to see. Yeah, I think it's really cool how they met, too. And he talks about that on the radio show uh, this past Monday. So if you haven't listened to our Fan for Racing uh, review show from Monday night, uh, Joe Graff Jr. comes on during the 9 o'clock half hour. So that's 30 minutes into the show. If you want to hear that interview, I really encourage you to go over and uh, take a listen to that. Uh, Not now, because you're listening to us now, but (laughs) later on. Uh, when you finish this show, take a listen to that show from uh, Monday night because uh, I think he gave us a really nice interview. Okay, now David Starr is back in the Xfinity Series beginning this weekend at the Daytona Road Course. Jay, uh, I'm sorry, Andy. <laughs> the other Jay. Jay. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, David, you know, David's a veteran, and he's still around, and, you know, it's um, – you know, I remember watching, gosh, I want to say 20 years ago, David was around then and he's still around today and uh, definitely a, a veteran driver, you know, and it's it's good to see some of these veterans still out there. So um, certainly a good opportunity for him uh, in which he has announced that he will run the remainder of the schedule for MBM Motorsports this year. He'll be in that number 13 for MBM uh, with the Whataburger as his primary sponsor. So uh, pretty cool to see David Starr back behind the wheel. Now this next segment that we have here is another example like we just had with Antonio Williams and uh, uh, Joe Graff Jr. Alvin Kamara 
is uh, the Saints running back is going to be partnering with Ryan Vargas, and one of his businesses is Big Squeezy. <laughs> so Big Squeezy is going to be on the car as well, but it's the same kind of deal. They're going to be he's he's sponsoring him uh, and getting behind him and supporting him. Uh, and I'll tell you what, Ryan Vargas is just amazing on social media. He got TikTok on board for his number six uh, this season as a sponsor. Now he's got Alvin Kamara. Also, he got him through social media. So uh, that's how important social media is to some of these drivers. And if you know how to work it, and Ryan Vargas knows how to make things happen, uh, you can make big things happen for your team. Yeah, it's just another incredible opportunity, just the same as it was for Joe Graff Jr. It's going to be a big deal for, for Ryan Vargas and his team to, you know, to be in this partnership. And it's like just as, just the same with Antonio Williams. It's cool that, um, you know, we're, we're seeing people from outside the sport, from other sports get into this one. So really cool, uh, really cool opportunity, obviously. And, um, you know, certainly – it's great to see these drivers um, coming up with innovative and creative ways to find new sponsors and new partners um, to get people interested into the sport that otherwise were not involved. And I think um, anytime you can get someone new or a new sponsor and a new partner in the sport, it's a really good thing. You know what's kind of cool about this, too, is he's a new fan. He said he just became a fan last season, and he attended uh, multiple races as a VIP fan, uh, and this weekend is going to be the first time that he's going to be involved as a sponsor. Uh, so he'll be there with Ryan Vargas this weekend for the D.C. road course, uh, for the Daytona road course. Um, but, you know, going back to Antonio Williams, Antonio Williams lived, is from uh, Durham, North Carolina. He's been a lifelong NASCAR fan. So he said this was a chance for him to kind of rekindle that passion for the sport. Uh, and in this case, we're bringing a new fan into the sport. So I think that's kind of kind of cool here too. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Let's take a look at the Xfinity Series top. Uh, you want to go over that, Andy? Yeah, absolutely. So no surprise here. Our 2020 reigning NASCAR Xfinity Series champion, Austin Cindric, is once again the point leader by a fairly sizable margin already over second place. He has 55 points to Ty Dillon's 40. Brandon Brown is in third. Harrison Burton and his cousin Jeb Burton round out the top five, Sharon. So um, (laughs) as we get started here, these are names that you fully expect to see up front. I know Ty Dillon's only going to run a few races, um, but, you know, when you see Cindric and especially Harrison Burton and Jeb Burton, I mean, these are drivers that you expect to, to be up front in the points and you expect them to, to win some races and be uh, championship contenders this year. I don't know about you, Andy, but I feel like all is right with the world once again to see two Burtons racing in NASCAR. Yeah, we had a little bit of a lull there, but uh, we're slowly getting back where we need to be. <laughs> That's for sure. So, no, it's definitely awesome. And and I really do look for, for for really big things from those two this year. Harrison in his second full Xfinity season, uh, I think, 
has the potential to really be highly successful. And the same for Jeb too. This is the first full-time opportunity he's had, um, you know, to go with Finity racing and uh, especially with a really good team like college racing. So I, I think that the sky's the limit for both of these guys. And I think that they're just, um, they're, they're really going to be strong contenders throughout the whole season. Yes, indeed. Jeb and his dad, Ward, they have worked so hard to find a ride uh, within NASCAR, and this is just an exceptional opportunity with college racing. I couldn't be happier for Jeff Burton, and uh, I'm, I'm really tickled uh, to see Harrison and Jeb racing together in the Xfinity Series this year. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay, now we've got the road course ringers. There's plenty of them coming in. Uh, to race this race this weekend. We know Austin Sendrick's going to be good. Uh, he was very good on the road courses last year. But we've got some other guys that will be out there, too. A.J. Allmendinger, we know how good he is on the road courses. And there's Andy Lauer. I'm sorry, Andy Lally joining our motorsports. Uh, he's going to be on the track this weekend. Miguel Paluto in the number eight Chevrolet for Junior Motorsports is going to be racing. Uh, Preston Pardis. Uh, he's going to race for GGM this weekend, uh, and he has six starts in the Xfinity Series, all coming on road courses. Uh, it, he's had six starts uh, in 2019 and 20. His best finish was eighth at Road America last season. Jake Buford is back. He's making his fifth start in the Xfinity Series this weekend. All four of his previous starts were on road courses. Uh, with the best finish of eighth on the Charlotte Roval. And then Jones had a nice race at the road course last season and led two laps and route to a second-place finish. Nord Gregson is also strong on road courses. He tends to run up front. When we mentioned Jones, we're talking Brandon Jones there. Nord Gregson is really good. Uh, he finished third last season. And Almondinger and Lally are rounding out the top five there. So... I uh, really think we've got – there could be some surprises here as well, uh, some spoilers, if you will. Austin Sendrick's going to have his hands full. Oh, and, and also someone that is, is well worth mentioning, too, is Justin Haley. He uh, has a road racing yes. background. He's always really good on the road courses. Um, I fully expect, especially given the number of road course races this season, that uh, he'll be a factor for some wins. Um, but – just you know, the moral of the story here is there are so many good, strong road course competitors that um, can have a say in the outcome of this race. And you know, it, we always like to look at at Cindric and Almendinger, um, and certainly, rightfully so, when you look at their results. But there are many other drivers that uh, can get up there and, and potentially get this win without a doubt. Yes, indeed. It was also announced to date that Scott Heckert is going to be racing uh, this weekend with B.J. McLeod uh, and their fast, light, fast racing uh, or motorsports. Uh, I'm getting used to all these new team names. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, Scott Heckert is also really good on the road courses. Uh, he's raced with uh, B.J. McLeod before and uh, – uh, we've talked to Scott many, many times, and, and uh, I'm really excited to see him back on the track this weekend on the road course as well. And the cool part about it, Sharon, is it's going to be in a cup car. He's driving the number 78 Ford on Sunday. So 
uh, you know, oh. a great opportunity for him uh, to get into a cup car this weekend. It's going to be pretty exciting I was thinking it was Xfinity. I didn't know it was cup. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that clarification, Andy. I, my my reading was a little too quick there. <laughs> no, it's just a, it's a great okay. opportunity for him, you know, certainly to, you know, to go out there and compete in the cup series and uh, certainly – uh, anytime a driver can make their debut, it's it's exciting for sure. Absolutely. I'm very, very happy for Scott Heckert. Okay, so I got a little ahead of myself there. Uh, this is going to be the first roast course of the season at Daytona. Andy, you kind of brought this up earlier, uh, but there are several road courses on tap. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, last year they ran four, which was which was pretty cool. Um, but this weekend, of course, uh, they get seven, just like the Cup Series. They're going to have seven road courses. Um, of course, Daytona, uh, Circuit of the Americas, which I think we can all agree is a very highly anticipated race weekend. Uh, they returned to mid-Ohio this year, which is awesome. They were not able to race there last year due to the, the COVID pandemic, so it'll be fun to see them return there. Road America, Watkins Glen, the Indianapolis road course, we all remember how exciting that was last year for the Xfinity Series, who, unlike the Cup Series, who make their debut on that course this year, Xfinity did run the road course there last year, and it was a, a really good race. And, of course, the Charlotte uh, Motor Speedway Roval. So um, seven road courses for the Xfinity Series really, um, you know, make it a, a very diverse schedule, Sharon. Yes, indeed. Cindric uh, had a total of nine wins last year, and four of those nine wins – uh, were wins on road courses. So he's going to be uh, uh, a strong competitor for he, sure. He scares me. He scares me at how good I think he's going to be this year. And he was really good last year, obviously won multiple races in the championship. But um, if you're the Xfinity competition, I, I think, as well as our fantasy um, picks at Fan for Racing, um, we're going to be fighting for that 22 car on a weekly basis, I think. Well, he's got a chance to really break some more records this weekend. Uh, with his big win at Daytona, Austin Cedric became just the second driver in Xfinity Series history to win the championship in the season opener the following year. Uh, the other driver was Randy LaJoy, who accomplished that feat in 1997. Now, Cedric has a chance to become the only driver in series who two races of the NASCAR Xfinity Series season is the following year. So uh, you know that's got to be on his mind uh, to come and win also on the Daytona road course. Uh, so uh, this time he'll be racing the 3.61-mile 14-turn road course at Daytona. Uh, and Cindric, uh made history by winning the event from the pole by a massive 7.108 seconds over second-place driver Brandon Jones. It was one of Cindric's six victories en route to his title last year. So he's led 21 of 52 laps in the race that saw seven lead changes and seven cautions for eight laps. So this weekend, Cindric is uh, hoping to stay undefeated at the Daytona Road Course uh, in the Superstart Batteries 188 at Daytona. 
And uh, the race will be broken up into the three stages that we talked about before, 15 laps in stage one, another 15 laps in stage two, and then it ends on the last lap uh, after 187.72 miles. So Brett Moffat starts on the pole this weekend, uh, but Cindric's going to be right there with him on the front row. Jeb Burton, Harrison Burton, and Daniel Hemrick round out the top five starting spots. Yeah, certainly. When you give it, you look at uh, Cindric's track position. It's going to be um, it's going to be hard to beat. But um, you know, like we've already mentioned, there are several several contenders in this field. I certainly look at that 16 car of Almendinger as um, as another one that can really go up there and contend for the win. So uh, we can't hand anyone the trophy just yet, by any means. No way. Okay, it's that time that we're going to move, go ahead and move on, Andy, to the NASCAR Cup Series. Also racing on the uh, road course at Daytona, uh, but their race is on Sunday, February the 21st at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, it will be televised on Fox starting at 2.30 Eastern and radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Now, their distance is going to be 252.7 miles. 70 laps, stage one ends on lap 16, stage two on lap 34, and the final stage ends on lap 70. So uh, a lot to look forward to. Uh, It was a uh, survival of the fittest in the Daytona 500. I'm kind of curious to see how this is going to end up on the road course. Yeah, you know, this was – it was a really interesting weekend last year. Um, the, the Xfinity series race was pretty wild and crazy. And the cup race um, really was, was pretty laid back, which was surprising to me because they'd never turned a lap on the, on that course yet. There was no practice in qualifying. Um, but then we ran the Bush class a couple, you know, a week and a half ago. And then that <laughs> race was, was pretty crazy. So I, I do think that, um, you know, it's it, it's going to be an interesting race, and and certainly uh, there there is some changes to the course, which I can touch on real quick here. Um, you know, we had an issue with dirt getting on the track, and um, you know NASCAR has implemented some curbing to help curtail that. Um, so we may not see all the dirt and, and mud and stuff getting slung up like we did a week and a half ago. Um, but I really kind of look at this as a bit of a wild card weekend because. We've only seen, um, you know, a couple, three races on this course, and we've seen some relatively laid-back races, and we've seen some pretty wild races. So I really can't say (laughs) that I know what to expect uh, for this weekend without a doubt. Well, those guys are – a lot of these guys want to get that win early in the season. And for some of these drivers, this is their opportunity to make that happen on the road course. And, you know, it used to be – you know, we'd have to have ringers come in uh, for the road courses. But now all of our drivers are really good on road courses. We've got a lot of drivers that do very well on the road courses in the Cup Series. And uh, I think that uh, I think that's fantastic because we're not relying on the ringers anymore. Uh, we're watching our stars. And it gives them that opportunity to go out there and get that win uh, for the playoff uh, competition. So, uh, we'll see what happens, but there's some milestones that are happening at Daytona this weekend too. There are indeed, and we'll take a look at those here. Um, 
as I get myself into the right position to be able to talk about it. Yes, of course, uh, Ryan Blinney will make his 200th NASCAR Cup Series start. That in itself is hard to believe to think that he's been racing in the Cup Series that long. Uh, he made his first career start uh, all the way back on May 10th, 2014. It was at Kansas Speedway for Team Penske in the number 12 Ford, which is the car that he currently drives in that series. Uh, in his first 199 starts, he's posted four wins, 38 top fives, and 76 top tens with six poles. Um, certainly a driver to watch. He's shown, to, uh, he's shown to be very competitive on the road course. And as far as wins, Kyle Busch with 57 can tie Kevin Harvick if he were to win with 58 this weekend uh, for the most wins in the Cup Series by an active driver. Uh, Wood Brothers Racing has 99 wins all time, so at any point this year should um, Mike Orzel's favorite driver, Matt DeVenedetto, score a big win, it would be the 100th or, for the Wood Brothers organization, which is quite an accomplishment, and I, and I, think, that, uh, I think they'll get there this year. In terms of mm-hmm. laps led, there's three active drivers um, that have more than 10,000 laps led in the NASCAR Cup Series, which is just an amazing stat, and that's Kyle Busch with over 17,947 laps led. Kevin Harvick at 15,582. And Denny Hamlin with 11,326 laps led. This season, Kurt Busch has the opportunity to become that fourth driver to lead over more than 10,000 laps for the 19th all-time in the NASCAR Cup Series. He just has to lead 98 more laps to do that, uh, as he has led 9,902 laps. Martin Truex Jr. also not that far behind Sharon. 9,858 left led. So um, some serious abilities here for, for some of these guys to join a very elite club uh, in terms of um, the amount of laps they've led in the Cup Series. Exactly. Now, how could anybody not be happy for Michael McDowell, who won the Daytona 500 uh, this past weekend? Uh, but that was his very first win in the NASCAR Cup Series, and uh, he leads the list of drivers getting their best finish uh, in 2021 in the Daytona 500 with his first career Cup Series win. He's one of eight drivers to score his first win in the Great American Race. Uh, Tiny Lund did it in 63, Mario Andretti in 67, Pete Hamilton in 70, Derek Koch did it in 1990, Sterling Marlin in 1994, Michael Waltrip, we all remember him winning in 2001, Trevor Bain, how could you forget that one, in 2011, and now Michael McDowell in 2021. Just amazing. Uh, Ross Chastain scored his first NASCAR Cup Series top 10 finish, seventh last weekend in the Daytona 500, and uh, it's actually his first full season in the number with that number 42 team at Chip Ganassi. And Stuart Haas Racing's Chase Bristol made his series debut last weekend, posting a 19th place finish in the Daytona 500. So pretty cool to see all of those drivers. Uh, uh, with their accomplishments last weekend. Yeah, it really was. In particular, McDowell, you know, certainly he's been around the sport for a long time. And, um, you know, Front Row Motorsports is notorious for being really good on the super speedways. And he's been in position in times past. Um, and so for him to be in position at the end of the race like that, 
and uh, go out there and, and seal the deal really wasn't a huge shocker. Um, you know, we've, we've seen him be in these positions before. So huge win for him, obviously. Uh, there's no bigger win in stock car racing than the Daytona 500. And no matter what he does the rest of his career, he's a Daytona 500 champion. So uh, just a huge, a huge win for him and that team. They're locked into the playoffs and, and they can, they can have some fun and, and go out there and, you know, be aggressive and maybe try to win some more races. You just never know. Um, and, uh, you know, a good start for Ross Chastain, obviously, uh, to score a top 10 um, first race with Chip Ganassi racing. And I think people expect some pretty big things out of him uh, this year. And then, uh, yeah, Chase Briscoe, I call it a fairly respectable 19th place finish. Obviously, <laughs> I I paid uh, I paid really close attention to him, and they had some they had some adversity throughout the race. Um, yeah. and unfortunately, you know, had to repair a little bit of damage to the car and, you know, but I think for a rookie like that, you know, it should be noted too, that this was his first career start in the cup series. Um, yeah. you know, so for them to just simply get, bring the car home and finish the race, I think is, you know, that's a good start. So certainly I think that, um, you know, that's someone to watch as the season unfolds and, you know, certainly, I think all of these drivers, you know, have certainly got themselves off to a decent start this year. And guess what, Andy? He wasn't the only driver facing adversity at the Daytona 500 last weekend. <laughs> there were a lot of drivers uh, facing some adversity last weekend. Hey, you've got that right. No doubt about that. <laughs> okay, we've got some stars performing this weekend. Yeah, we got to um, see here. CC winning to perform the national anthem, uh, best-selling and most awarded female gospel artist of all time, actually. So that's really cool. We'll perform the uh, pre-race national anthem for the Cup Series event on Sunday. That'll be at 3 o'clock, of course, on Fox. And um, she's going to perform the uh, national anthem virtually. So that's pretty cool. I didn't realize that uh, she was the uh, most awarded female gospel artist of all time. So that's pretty cool. Um, certainly looking forward to seeing that. Yes, indeed. And have you watched the crew yet? I haven't. I've been hearing so much about it this week, Cher. And I, I, I have Netflix. I just, I've been, uh, I was down in Florida and now I'm at work, but um, I got to get myself a chance to watch it probably this weekend or next week sometime um, because uh, it looks it looks like it's worth checking out. So I, I haven't, I haven't watched it yet. So I don't, I don't have any opinion on it yet, but I'm going to give it a chance and, and see what it's all about. Well, Kevin James, he's the star of the crew on Netflix. He's going to serve as grand marshal this weekend, but he's not just the star of the crew. He's also the executive producer of that sitcom that's now streaming on Netflix. He's going to serve as the grand marshal this Sunday for the Daytona road course in the cup series. And he will command the drivers to start your engines. Uh, And again, that will be conducted virtually. Uh, We watched him this past weekend uh, (laughs) while he was cooking and uh, uh, doing some uh, uh, fun things with uh, NASCAR virtually uh, last weekend at Daytona. So it's it's kind of cool that we're going to see him back uh, virtually this weekend uh, to give the command, and I'm sure he's going to do a good job of that. Uh, a lot of people know Kevin James from The King of Queens uh, that premiered in 1998. It ran for nine seasons on CBS. Uh, he uh, 
starred and was also the executive producer of the show, uh, and he got an Emmy nomination for that in 2006 for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series. Uh, and they concluded that run in 2007, uh, but it still airs every day in syndication around the country. So uh, a lot of people like uh, watching Kevin James. He's also in some really cool films, Paul Blart, uh, as Mall Cop. He's in The Zookeeper, Grown Ups, and most recently in Hubie Halloween. So uh, Kevin James, uh, I'm sure one of the NASCAR favorites, uh, to be back this weekend to give the command. And uh, I haven't watched the crew yet either, but uh, I have it on my schedule uh, to get that into uh, – uh, action here uh, sometime, if not this weekend, then uh, next week sometime soon. <laughs> okay. We've got some more things here. Gosh, there's a lot of things here. What do you think uh, we should hit on next, Andy? Because there's quite a few things still on our list here. Well, we can talk about just uh, the uh, a quick recap of the 2020 event, which I think gives fans a little bit of a preview for, for this weekend. Obviously, the debut um, was a bit of a wild event. We saw wet and dry conditions, uh, resulting in 13 lane changes among six different leaders across the 14-turn, 3.6-mile road course. Um, you know, I think that does give us a bit of a preview. And then if you also factor in the clash from uh, last week, you know, I think we're in store for, for some good racing this weekend. Uh, looks like Denny Hamlin was the dominant driver, you know, as he has been lately on road courses in the early stages of the race, uh, swapping the lead with other competitors several times. He led 16 laps in that event. But, of course, the race went to Chase Elliott, uh, who has been Mr. Road Course um, in recent times. So, um, you know, those are drivers you're going to have to watch. I think you've you've got to look at guys like um, Blaney, Hamlin, and Elliott um, as, as drivers to to watch and be competitive this weekend. So um, we can certainly talk about, you know, take a look at that. And, um, of course, we get, um, you know, a small and, and, and pr- but a pretty mighty Sunoco 2021 Rookie of the Year class here. What do you think about those two guys as they battle for Rookie of the uh-huh. Year? Yeah, I think this is going to be fun. Chase Briscoe, of course, from Stuart Haas Racing is one of those drivers. There's only two this year. Um, And uh, he's uh, the first rookie of the race award uh, in the season opener. He finished 19th, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, He's an Indiana native, and he has a 13-point lead in the rookie standings over his only competitor, who happens to be Anthony Alfredo. And Anthony is with Front Row Motorsports. Uh, and, of course, he's 13 points back. He finished 32nd at Daytona, but he was also involved in an incident on the track, uh, which is the reason why he had that finish. So he's going to have his work cut out for him this weekend. Uh, He hails from Ridgefield, and he has only one NASCAR Series, National Series start on a road course, and that was last year at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He started 7th, but he finished 20th. So uh, he's going to have a little bit of an uproad hill here, but I have a lot of confidence in Anthony Alfredo. We've watched him uh, for a long time as as we have uh, Chase Briscoe. And uh, Chase, we know, is a very talented guy. Uh, I think, he, as you mentioned earlier, he did very well uh, coming in 19th in a race that was per- virtually a race of attrition. Uh, a lot of drivers... Uh, 
having a lot of trouble at the Daytona 500, uh, but Chase uh, was able to snag that 19th place spot, which I think was enough uh, to get him at the top of the list for the Sunoco Rookie of the Year class uh, between those two drivers. But uh, watch out for Anthony Alfredo down the road. As he gets more comfortable, I think, in that car, uh, he's going to be a contender. Yeah, and I, I, I kind of look at um, I kind of look at this weekend as an opportunity weekend for Chase. Um, we talked about Sindrick and Allgaier, or, or I'm sorry, Sindrick and Almendinger being really dominant in the road courses last year in Xfinity. Well, there was a third guy that was right there with him, and it was Chase yeah. Briscoe, um, and he proved his worth on road courses. And I think, given the fact that Cup has seven road courses. Um, you know, I'm not going to say that he'll light the world on fire necessarily, but I, I think he has a chance, and there's a reason that I, I have enough confidence in him to have picked him for fantasy. Um, you know, I have a yes. lot of confidence in him anyway, and I, I think he has a chance to possibly get his first career top ten this weekend. So, um, you know, it'll be fun to watch. Without a doubt, without a doubt. What about our clash winner, Kyle Busch? Yeah, he's you know, and, and he was in the right place at the right time when the fireworks erupted there in that last lap. But um, he, he was? you know, there's without, yeah, absolutely. Um, when uh, the 12 and the nine get into each other, he was there to capitalize and score the win. And, you know, I think that, um, that he, he's proven himself to be very good on the road courses. And I think that uh, there's no reason to think he won't be up front again this weekend. So I definitely look for Bush. Um, to be very competitive and, and put himself in position. That team, new crew chief this year, I think they're looking for a renewed sense of optimism and chances to win more races. No reason to think they won't get that done. Yeah, he's got four road course wins already to his resume, uh, two at Sonoma and two at Watkins Glen. Uh, but he's looking for his first points-paying victory at the Daytona road course. So uh, we'll have to see. He'll, he's going to have to beat Chase Elliott, I think. Chase Elliott is pretty good on those road courses. Uh, we'll have to see what he does this weekend on the Daytona road course. And what about yeah, Austin mid- Dillon? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, first time leading the points for Austin Dillon um, ever uh, in yes. his series career, which is something I didn't know until I read it just now. So pretty exciting, obviously. Uh, you always want to get the year started off with a good run in the first race. I know it's only one race in, but nonetheless exciting for that team. Um, to be leading the points, and, you know, certainly it gets them headed in the right direction. Without a doubt. And we mentioned that uh, uh, Chase Elliott is the king of road courses in the Cup Series. He's looking for a sixth career road course victory. He already has five wins, uh, which has him tied for seventh on the NASCAR all-time uh, road course list with Dan Gurney, Daryl Waltrip, and Tim Richmond. So uh, pretty cool to see him among that group. And uh, I know he's, he wants to go after that win, especially with what happened in the clash. Uh, he's looking for redemption with a road course victory uh, this weekend for sure. I just think those numbers are absurd. When you, when you look at the company that he's <laughs> with on road course wins, you know, to be going or, or to have that many road course cup wins already is just, it's crazy. And obviously he's good at it. There's no doubt about it. Um, and when you look at there being seven road courses on the schedule this year, I, I pray for the competition. Um, but that being said, there are other competitors out there that I think can give him a run for his money. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I think they certainly will, but there's no doubt that 
that Chase Elliott is, is a very, very strong road course racer. Uh, and I think they're right that Elliott is so good on the road courses because he really takes care of his car. He's so smooth. A lot of people use up their rotors using the brakes on the uh, road course. Elliott takes care of those rotors, uh, and he is so smooth when it comes to those brakes. Uh, it's what makes the difference, I think, for him. Yeah, good point. You know, and I think when you look at road courses and short tracks, you know, that's where you really need to take care of a car. And, and certainly by doing so, it it has um, put him in position to win some of these races. Yep. And then, of course, uh, Michael McDowell has a chance to join some elite company to win the first two races of the season. Uh, he's He did really good. He's been knocking on the door of a Daytona 500 win. He finally broke through that door this weekend. Uh, but he's also been knocking on the door of a road course win. And uh, I think uh, uh, he made his series debut on the road course last season. He started 30th and finished 10th. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Michael McDowell have a good run on the road course again this weekend. Yeah, he is a good road course racer. And I think that, you know, it, it puts – I think with the win last weekend, it, it puts the team in a position where even if they don't have the fastest car, you know, they do have a driver that is good on the road courses and they can gamble. And um, certainly when, when you have that freedom, you know, it can put them in a position to, to you know, definitely contend for a good finish and, and maybe even possibly contend for a win. Yes, indeed. Guess what, Andy? It's 9 That's o'clock. Hot. And it is time for NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And joining us for that conversation is part of our fan for racing crew, including Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, thank you, Sharon. Andy, hope you all had a good night. Unfortunately, I didn't get to listen to the uh, to the show tonight. So I know Andy was me and Andy swapped Thursday for Monday. Uh, I didn't get to listen to it, so I'll have to go back and listen to it here a little bit later. Yeah, yeah there's we have always fun. It's been good so far. Yeah, it's been fun. And also joining us uh, for tonight's conversation is Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hey, how's everybody doing tonight? Really good, really good. Uh, a lot of fun so far. So, Jay, I don't know, do you want to give an update on the Fan for Racing Fantasy Group this year? You know, I was going to do that even if you hadn't asked, just so that uh, everybody knows that Mike <laughs> and I are friends. Uh, to start out the year here, we got you on are? the cup side, we've got four. Okay. <laughs> be like, oh, <laughs> I didn't get that memo. Um, four races in. Mike is leading that one with 20. Let me get back over to the points there. Okay, there we go. Wait, I'm, uh, I'm sorry. You cut out there, Jay. Who, who's, who's leading? Yes, Mike is leading. Like I said, I was going to do this tonight regardless. Mike is leading 20. Uh, I got 19. Sam is at 17. Owen at 11. And then we got, uh, let's see, Andy at 8. And James and Sharon at 5. On the Xfinity yep, we're side, up the there, there we got uh, one race in. Mike leads that one as he picked the actual race winner. Uh, one of so far six races we've only had the team anybody on the team's pick two race winners I believe overall uh, but Mike was one of them here so he leads there seven Andy at five James at four 
Sharon at three, myself at two, Owen at one, and Sam at zero. And on the truck side, didn't have the winning driver, but the best finishing driver out of all our picks. So Mike had six points there. I have five. Sharon was four there. Andy at three, Sam two, Owen one, and James zero. So that gives us the overall. Mike at 33, myself at 26, Sam at 19, Andy at 16, and it'd be Owen at 13, Sharon at 12, and James at 9. So pretty good start for the year for everybody. I know a couple of people had a couple of a little bit rough races, if you will. But, again, it was Daytona, so <laughs> that's always to be expected, yep. right? Well, I think uh, we'll probably expect some more of that this weekend on the road course. Uh, if it yeah. flashes any indication of what we can expect. <laughs> Com- combine Daytona and a road course, which is generally the same thing of you hope they survive. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, Andy, you're our co-host for Hot Topic Sound Off, so why don't you kick us off on the hot topics for tonight? Well, I just want to start off by just mentioning the fact that it's been 20 years to the day that since Dale Earnhardt passed, you know, and obviously that was yeah. very prevalent, very prevalent in, in NASCAR race hub tonight, as well as uh, on Twitter. So just wonder what everyone's thoughts were on that and, and just kind of hard to believe it's been that long. Okay, Jay. Yeah, the biggest thing for me, I mean, I knew we were coming up on the anniversary, but for it to have been 20 years, yeah. I think back when we talk about how long we've been race fans or how long, uh, you know, we've been involved in this sport, uh, I know that's always a big number. You know, I'm 45. I'll I'll go ahead and give my age. I'll say I'm 45, and I've been since I was about 10, 15. uh, But to actually think back on and realize that of it has been 20 years. Uh, is just absolutely amazing. I mean, you know, we, when we talk about it, talk about him or some of the things he's done, it almost seems like it still is only, you know, a couple years back, uh, just that his presence is still still so prevalent. You know, obviously some of his records is seven championships. Jimmy Johnson tied it but did not break it. You know, so he's still around, the, you know, talked about in the sport and feels like he's still a part of the sport and in many ways is. Yeah, that's so true. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, 20 years went by really quick. Um, Let's also not forget that 20 years plus or minus a few months, we also lost Adam Petty and Blaze Alexander and Rex as well. And between the loss of those three drivers, Adam Petty, Dale Earnhardt, and Blaze Alexander, those are some of the the impetus behind the major shift in safety culture that we see in NASCAR today. So as tragic as it was to lose those three drivers, there's a lot of other drivers. Ryan Newman last year at the Daytona 500. Ryan Priest, I believe it was at Kansas, uh, hitting the inside wall extremely hard. Uh, Eric Almirola at Kansas a few years earlier. All those drivers owe at least their health, if not their entire lives, to the sacrifices that uh, that Blaze Alexander, Dale Earnhardt, and Adam Petty made, uh, losing their lives in the sport and spurring the safety that we see today. Yeah, I would put Jerry Nadeau into that mix as well. Uh, his accident was another accident that really um, uh, caused a lot of people to take a look at our safety features and what they can do to improve those. Uh, and and uh, thankfully, NASCAR, uh, I was watching uh, Race Hub today, and I think it was um, 
Brandon McReynolds' dad. <laughs> I can't think of his name. Larry. Larry, thank you. Larry McReynolds. Um, Larry McReynolds was talking about how uh, in five days from when the accident happened with Dale Earnhardt to the next race that I believe was at Atlanta, people were scrambling uh, to make sure that safety features were put into place before that race at Atlanta uh, and that everybody knew how to use their Hans devices and everything else. But NASCAR has just done a remarkable job. And it's not just NASCAR. A lot of the drivers were involved with that too. And, Andy, you know this to be true with uh, Jeff Burton. He was very instrumental in some of the safety features. And in particular, uh, the Hans device. Uh, in getting that implemented in NASCAR. And uh, uh, I, I just really applaud NASCAR for everything that they've done. But one of the highlights uh, of the show tonight on NASCAR Race Hub, I think, was Dale Earnhardt uh, when he was talking about the experience uh, of that event. Uh, and that uh, what I am really, I'm really proud of him because they talked about how much weight was put on his shoulders when his dad passed away, and he was just 26 years old. And uh, that was a lot of weight. And for a long, long time, uh, Dale Jr. was, I don't want to say reclusive, but kind of bordering on it, <laughs> of being reclusive. And then he found Amy, uh, and I think she really opened him up and helped him to feel comfortable in his own skin. And when he talked about tonight, how he felt like his dad was still here. He still felt his father's presence and uh, that he still uh, feels him uh, with everything that he does. I I think that that is a remarkable um, way to look at this and the tragedy that happened with his dad at Daytona in 2001. Uh, I'm really proud of Dale Earnhardt Jr. and how he's – kind of grown into the sport and everything that he's done for the sport. And that's the legacy, if you will, of Dale Earnhardt, is his son, Dale Earnhardt Jr. And uh, uh, I, I'm very thankful for that. Uh, of course, we miss, you know, I think about um, uh, the news guy um, that is uh, a big, big Dale Earnhardt fan, a friend of Dale Earnhardt, um, Brian Williams. And he says he misses him every day. He 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 realizes he left a very big hole in this sport uh, when that happened, and uh, he misses his presence every day. But then you had Dale Earnhardt coming on saying he's here. He feels his presence every day. So and and Mike, I think you said it. Uh, we see uh, a lot of Dale Earnhardt and a lot of what happens within this sport all the time. So, uh, yeah, we miss him, but uh, I'm with Dale Earnhardt. We still feel Dale Earnhardt's spirit within this sport on a day-to-day basis. So, Jay, I'm curious to know, or Andy, I'm sorry, I'm curious to know your thoughts about all this. Well, I think for me, you know, you know, to Mike's point, there were several drivers that lost their lives in that year leading up to, to Dale's, and it's unfortunate that it took the death of a seven-time champion to – to make the polarizing changes they did, but, you know, thankfully, thankfully NASCAR did make those changes. And I think that um, to everyone else's points, 
it, it, it's probably saved, you know, a dozen or so lives over the past 20 years. And so it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, we had to lose Dale the way that, that we did. Um, you know, that to me, that news was, was, you know, such big, big news, big polarizing news. I mean, that's why I watch racing today. Prior to that race, I knew what NASCAR was, but didn't really watch it. And then because of how big that news was, it, it, it got me into it and I haven't looked back. It's been 20 years since I've started watching. So, um, you know, so obviously a really big event, a sad event, but, you know, and it's unfortunate that it occurred, but it, it allowed NASCAR to finally take a look at things and, and everyone take a look at things and say, okay, we need to make changes. We have to make these changes now. And, and I think that it probably has saved, you know, not even just in the top three series in NASCAR, but other racing divisions, it's probably saved tons of lives over the past 20 years. And so it, it, it kind of, it, it sucks quite frankly, when, when, when those types of events occur, but you know, it, if there is anything good that came out of it, it's the fact that other people are alive today because of the safety improvements. And I think that's what we can take away from it uh, is all the improvements that we've seen, but yeah, it's just crazy to think it's been 20 years and time does fly. That's for sure. Yes, indeed. Jay, your follow-up. Well, and talked about some of some of the safety developments. I know uh, the safer barrier uh, was one of the things to come out of that. The, the planning and engineers that designed that was was part of that impact um, that they they went into hardcore into developing that. And when you talk about the people it affected, you know there are so many and each each in a different way. But a couple that I think of of. Ironically, Jeff Gordon, what started out as a rivalry, had kind of developed into a, fr- a friendship as well as a business partnership. Michael Waltrip, uh, I don't know if you've read his his book, In the Blink of an Eye, I believe is the title. I can't see it on my bookshelf from here. Um, and the piece that uh, Fox did with him as well of opening up and talking about it, that Dale had given him the opportunity. He had a good ride with the Wood Brothers. He got the all-star win. But... Dale is the one that said, hey, I want you, you know, in a, in a top-notch car, part of my team, brought in the Napa sponsorship uh, that had been tied to another driver and expected, but they brought in Michael Weltrip, and he came out and delivered and got that win. And, you know, when he talked about standing in victory lane and waiting and looking for Dale to come through that gate, and he, and he said, you know, Schrader is the one that came through. And Schrader's another one, a, a personal friend, um, you know, is, is unfortunately the one that, that saw him first and kind of had the feeling and went to talk to Michael. But the, the, so many that he touched in different ways, whether it was, a, like I said, a rivalry that changed to a friendship or stayed a rivalry, you know, with, uh, say, Rusty Wallace. Uh, but, the, you know, that impact was just felt all across as well as then through the fans. So, um, again, it's always great to, to remember them. But it also does, like we've mentioned, feel like he is still here in so many ways. Michael? Yeah, as tough as it was to lose Dale, keep in mind, since we lost him, we have not lost another driver in a race in any of the top three NASCAR series. And we've seen some horrific crashes. You know, Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, and Bubba Wallace all having brake failures and going straight into the turn one wall at Pocono. And all three of them got out of the car and they were shaken up, but otherwise they were fine. And, you know, there's countless other examples of, of accidents that most likely would have been career ending injury, if not death, in, you know, the time before we lost Dale. So losing him and the safety that has come into our sport since then, 
Um, I think it, it can't be understated how important that is and why our sport is as safe as it is right now is because the whole culture changed after we lost Dale Sr. Yes, and I'll tell you some other ways that we see Dale Earnhardt uh, within our sport today. A lot of people know this now, but during the time, Dale Earnhardt is a very generous guy. He was known as the intimidator, but he did a lot of things behind the scene anonymously uh, to support uh, different causes and different people and teams and and so on and so forth. And uh, there are so many drivers now that are involved with their own foundations that are giving back to the communities in so many different ways. And I think that's because of somebody like Dale Earnhardt setting that example. And and I think that's another way that we see him in our sport today. Um, and, and the story, there's just a ton of different stories. Harrison Burton today uh, in his media interview was talking about how uh, his mom and dad had been talking about uh, getting a boat and uh, because they come from humble backgrounds, they just were being very cautious about spending the money, that kind of money on getting something as extravagant as a boat. And Dale Earnhardt, I guess, came up to his mom and he says, you need to live your life. And this is a fun way that you can live life and have a good time. So after that accident happened, one of the first things they went and did is Jeff and Kim went out and bought that boat. And uh, Harrison was talking about all the good memories that he has about being on that boat and how they were living life and having a good time on that boat. And a lot of that was because of Dale Earnhardt telling Kim to go out and live life and not to worry about what it was going to cost to go out and buy that boat. So there's there's just a lot of stories like that that really touch one's heart. And uh, a lot of them, you know, we hear little by little every year, you hear another little story here and there. Uh, and, and there's just so many, there's a ton of stories like that that uh, I think helps us see that Dale Earnhardt continues to live on uh, in many of these drivers' lives uh, today and as they remember those stories. And so uh, I'm grateful that he was part of this sport uh, and thankful for everything that he did uh, in his time with us in this sport. So, Andy, you get the last word on this. Yeah, I mean, just like you said, Sharon, just just tons and tons of stories, you know, and I, to some degree, lament the fact I I didn't really get to watch him race, you know, but um, it's because of because of that news and because of how big it was, I you know grateful that I got into it and watched today. But yeah, just obviously somebody that um, you know, having known plenty of Earnhardt fans over the years, somebody that is missed every day by a lot of people, and it's just uh, just crazy to think that it's been as long as it has. But you know just thankful for all the improvements and, and all the good that, that that came out of such a tragic event like that. And, uh, you know, I think that the sport is in a better place today because of, because of what happened on that dark day 20 years ago. Without a doubt. Uh, I think we lost somebody. I think it was uh, Jay. I was going to go to him next. I hope he's going to call back in. Um, 
So, Mike, I guess we'll let you uh, pick up on what the next topic is going to be. But thank you for that discussion, Andy. Uh, I wanted to do something to kind of honor this day and recognize this day because it is hard to believe it's been 20 years already. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly worth mentioning, and I thought this is like you did. I thought it was a good segment to to talk about it. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, just, just hard to believe. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. Okay, Jay is back with us now. So, Jay, we're going to let you pick up the next topic. Well, and I thought it was my turn coming up next. That's why I was like, I was having phone problems. I'm like, let me try and call back in quick before she comes to me. Uh, (laughs) Reset my phone, so hopefully that fixes all that. Um, I know I brought this up as we closed out Monday night show and I had issues there and got kicked off, but I don't know what that was. Uh, they had an interview with Kevin Harvick. He's in that area where he could, or is going to be looking at retirement here in a couple of years. And he said he hadn't really thought about it, but as he does more now, this new schedule and format with one-day shows or shorter uh, days at the track, no practice, no qualifying, he feels actually may extend his career as you're cutting down at time at the track, and that gives him the opportunity. And you know, He's got two kids now. Um, to spend at home versus in the old days it was you were spent most of your time Thursday through Sunday at the track and only home for a couple of days. So with that, we've talked about before whether or not NASCAR needs qualifying in practice. This year or last year with the COVID and this year they've had it restricted. We don't know beyond that into 2022. Uh, Some two sides to it. It could keep drivers around longer, uh, but also – we've talked about some issues of not having qualifying. So oh, what are your guys' thoughts on that? And which way would you lean towards then? Okay, Mike, you're up first. Well, I think it's going to be short-lived. Um, the sponsors are going to be the biggest piece behind this. They've tolerated the lack of qualifying and practice because of COVID, but I don't think that they're going to allow it to be a permanent fixture where they're just doing these one-day shows with, uh, with no practice and no qualifying. And the reason for that is a big part of the activation with these sponsors is being able to take customers or other VIPs out to the racetrack over the course of the weekend and schmooze them up, you know, in the hospitality suites or, you know, the chalets or whatever's available at the various racetracks. And they take them out there and, you know, Friday, Hey, look at our car out there during practice. And then after the practice and let's parade the driver through the hospitality suite and then qualifying on Saturday, same thing. And then a big hoopla on Sunday. So taking that, away from the sponsors really takes away uh, a lot of the value that comes with their participation in the sport. Um, obviously, I'm not in a position where I'm writing the checks to, uh, to say what the value of that is, but I know it's significant having been on the Pennzoil side of things growing up. It is a very significant part of the activation of the sponsorship. So if that goes away, that really changes the value equation of a NASCAR sponsorship and it may end up hurting more than it helps in terms of long-term cost to the sport. I know they're trying to cut costs uh, for road crews and facilities and whatnot, but in cutting those costs, they may end up chasing away sponsorship and have a net loss in revenue doing so. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I would agree with what Mike's thinking as well. I think that, you know, from the sponsorship side, I, I think that there's, there's a bigger return on investment when 
you can you can have the car on track more throughout the weekend instead of just the race. That's that's one part of it. Um, it I'll address the the driver's side of it. You know, not that long ago we saw you know the Mart Martins and some of these drivers go well up into their mid 40s. We saw a trend in recent years where drivers were retiring earlier. So yeah, maybe you could see some drivers stick it out a little bit longer if there's a little bit of a reduction in in the schedule. And that kind of brings in the next element of this where I think you're going to see something in between. I I don't know that you'll see, you know, three practice sessions and qualifying in a race over a three-day span. I I think, you know, and I don't know what the format will be, but I could see maybe like a two-day show where you do, you know, like one practice, a qualifying session and race. And that's kind of a happy medium probably. Um, you know, in the other, another part of this is that even what we're seeing right now um, with some of these fields being capacity is you're seeing teams and drivers not even get a chance to qualify because of the metrics currently used to set the starting lineup, which is not fair. If you're, if you're a paying sponsor and team that, you know, has every right to be out there. So um, it'd be kind of nice to see at least, at least one practice and one qualifying session come back so that it gives, you know, these teams uh, a chance to go out there and earn their starting spot on a weekly basis, just like it used to be. It gives uh, sponsors more activation at the racetrack. And and maybe, yeah, if the schedule's reduced a little bit, you could see some drivers maybe go a year or two longer than they had planned on. But, um, you know, I, I forget where I saw it, so I can't give a direct quote, but it sounded like it might have been Steve Phelps, actually, that said – he didn't expect to see uh, practice and qualifying completely go away. Sounds like it is going to come back to some degree, which I think is a really good thing. Um, you know, I, I miss it, honestly. I mean, it was nice last year just to see racing, so I didn't think about it too much. But, you know, the, the pre-COVID way was, was certainly a lot of fun throughout the weekend because there was plenty of on-track activity, plenty of things going on. And I'd, I'd certainly like to see the race weekend get busier. Okay. I'm I'm kind of with Andy, and I'm going to kind of flip the story just a little bit here because uh, I'm with Andy that it's probably going to be somewhere in between. It's not going to go back to the way it was before because think about it. One of the biggest reasons that sponsors were pulling out of the sport is because it was such an enormous cost to sponsor a car, and that's why you don't see one sponsor on a car anymore. You have to have multiple sponsors on the car because these organizations don't have the money to put into sponsorship that they used to have because the costs have gone up so tremendously high. So I think that having what we used to have uh, could, in fact, actually decrease the number of sponsors uh, that are coming into the sport. What this will do if they do something closer to something in between is maybe give other people that chance to sponsor more. So more people a chance to sponsor. And, in fact, like earlier as a hot topic, uh, and we saw another team uh, with this happening, we've got NFL stars now coming in, sponsoring drivers and and what I really like about that is that they're they're working with some of the lower funded teams uh to and I think that's going to be huge uh for some of these lower funded teams to have sponsorships like that because it's going to help them to keep compete with those bigger teams uh so and these guys are getting some exposure for what they're doing 
by doing these sponsors sponsorships with these lower funded teams like with Joe Graff Jr. with Ryan Bartis with JD Motorsports. These organizations are not able to put the sponsorship dollars that used to be put into sponsoring a team. Uh, they're not able to do it under that old format because it's too cost prohibitive. So something has to change in that regard. And I think that they might get a bigger bang for their buck uh, by doing it this way and doing something that's closer to that in-between mark uh, for uh, uh, sponsorship. Uh, of these teams and organizations, the bigger teams they're still going to find ways to smooth their their uh, their their uh, parties or whatever they they do to smooth. Uh, they're going to be able to do that in other ways, uh, but I think it's I think this is going to be a better format. And sometimes good things come out of uh, difficult situations, and the pandemic has kind of forced us to look at things from a different point of view. And I think this is something good that's going to come out of this with a different sponsorship model, and we're already seeing it happen. And I love that it's happening with some of the lower-funded teams. So uh, something in between is where I'm at. Where are you at, Jay? Well, I'm glad you chimed in there for a couple reasons. My phone shut down again so i had to call back in again but if i caught what you were saying there at the tail end i wanted to say that i agreed with everybody uh that might be the first time ever so um (laughs) yes you know what mike and andy were saying as far as the sponsor is concerned but i think sharon kind of countered that with if it's a shorter weekend it's costing less money so sponsors may be more willing to um to come in because it is costing them less so uh, I think it's kind of a if he could be either way, you know, your bigger dollar sponsors, they may still do something if they have their own um, fan, or fan I, event or interaction with, the, with their I gotta driver. I've got to make my announcement, Jay. Jay, I'm oh, wow, sorry. I've got to cut you off. Yep, yep. Yeah, yep, I apologize. Um, and thank you, Andy, for the reminder. We are coming up to our 10.30 mark on our Fan for Racing radio show here tonight. And what that means is that we're going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. But we do continue recording for those people that are listening for the first time. We continue recording our conversation so that you can hear that bonus overtime material on our podcast. So if you've listened up to this point, all you have to do is fast forward to the two-hour mark and you can hear the rest of the conversation on the podcast. I'll go out on Twitter when we're finished here to let everybody know that we're finished and that the podcast is available. As soon as it downloads, you'll be able to fast forward to that two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. Uh, Podcast listeners will be able to listen straight through, so there's no worries there. But we do like to remind people, in case there's any first-time listeners, uh, that we're going to go off the air mid-sentence here uh, very shortly. Uh, But the rest of that conversation will be available at a later time. So with that, Jay, I am so sorry I had to interrupt you. (laughs) No, I understand. Like I said, I hadn't even noticed we were already to that point. Um, But so, like I said, with sponsors, they're going to find a different way to get their their driver, their their, uh, VIPs or whatever, that activation. And like I said, it come at a little bit lower cost. Find different ways to do events or signings or showings with the driver, whatever you have it. The the other thing that I agree, and I think everybody kind of had that thought, 
NASCAR is going to have to go to some type of at least qualifying down the road. Because, again, if they're looking to bring in new teams and the 36 are locked in and they're going to this metric system, which equates based on performance and they haven't been to the track yet, they have no way of getting into a race. So what's the draw for new teams to try and come in other than to Mm -hmm. buy out a previous charter? So I do think that we're going to see a modification. I don't think we're going to go back to the way we were of, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday practices and everything. But I think you are going to see some type of schedule with at least qualifying and then a little bit of practice. I know when we talked about this last year, my thought was an hour, hour and a half of practice and your best time out of that is your qualifying. Uh, You know, that kind of puts it in that middle ground where it should be able to please everybody. Okay. Uh, Mike, your follow-up. Hopefully uh, NASCAR, you know, the sanctioning body, Steve Phelps and the other decision makers, they are having or at least planning to have a good meeting with uh, drivers, sponsors, other stakeholders, and they start addressing this of, hey, when this COVID thing is over and we have full reign to do whatever it is we want to do, what is it that we want to do and get input? Cause I don't think any of us are privy to what the decisions of a sponsor are going to be. And I would imagine the needs of a major sponsor, like say FedEx on the number 11 car versus Bass Pro on uh, several other cars, I would assume that their needs are very different. So trying to get some sort of a, a semblance of a balance and, and uh, come up with something that suits the widest number of people as possible um, they've really got a great opportunity here that they don't really have very often and that they get a little bit of a clean slate. We've kind of wiped out the way we've always done things because for, you know, we've been basically coasting on the momentum of decades of, well, we always had this many practice sessions and qualifying and it's always taken this many days and, and whatever. Well, all that stuff has gotten wiped out over the past year or so. So they get a, a, a unique opportunity to clean slate to restructure what a race weekend looks like. So getting that input from sponsors of, yeah, we'd like to have a block of time on a Saturday after practice in order to, for us to have meet and greets with our drivers and bring our, our customers in there. Okay, great. Driver inputs. Well, we'd like to limit our time at the racetrack because it's taking away our time from being with family and, and whatnot. So getting those inputs and c- trying to come up with a solution that best suits everybody uh, is a really important thing going forward. And I hope there's some people looking at it right now. Andy. Uh, I don't have any follow-up. I'm good on this one. Okay. Yeah, I think, Mike, that they will have that conversation, but I think the big sponsors are going to do what the big sponsors are going to do. And uh, I think that they will make something special happen for their uh, customers and for their uh, people uh, that come to the track. I think that there'll still be those opportunities for them to come to the track and be smoothed. Uh, And they do that mainly on Sunday anyway. Uh, a lot of that is done on Sunday, the day of the race. Um, but what I really like about what's happening because of all of this is that you've got new sponsors that are coming in to sponsor the underfunded teams to bring some equity to some of these teams and help them be more competitive against some of these bigger sponsored teams like the FedEx team and the 
uh, Bass Pro Shop teams and, and like that. Now you're coming in and supporting some of these lower-funded teams to help them be more competitive, and that's going to be really good for this sport. And I think that's just, I think that's awesome. Um, so uh, to me, that's a huge benefit that's coming uh, from what's happened with this pandemic. And that's a lot of times what happens. You get something bad that happens and it changes. It breaks the mold. And sometimes by breaking that mold, you discover other ways of doing things. And uh, it ends up being better uh, than it ever was before. So I, I see some real positives coming out of this. I think the big sponsors are still going to be there, and I think they're still going to find ways uh, to to smooth their customers. And like I say, most of that smoothing happens on Sunday. It happens on race day. So uh, I think it's going to be uh, a positive all the way around. Jay, your follow-up? Yeah, I agree, and I think as Steve Phelps alluded to that they are already talking about and looking at it, yep. whether it be at the end of this year or uh, into 2022, uh, of some type of modification. Like I said, not where we were, not where we are, but kind of in between. So, And I think there is a way it will suit all needs. Again, the television uh, rights package, You know, there might be an adjustment that with that, but they're going to want to get back some of what they had. Again, it may not be four days or however many hours, but at least some um, to fill fill in and, and keep their agreement intact. Okay. Okay. Well, Mike, that brings us around to you to start us with the next topic. Uh, this is going to be a little bit of downer news, but the ratings are in for this year's Daytona 500, and unfortunately, they were the lowest that they've been in the history of the race. And a lot of that could be attributed to the rain delay, but even prior to that, the race is not trending to do very well. Um, and the debate is once again back about start times. NASCAR for the past two years has tried to start the Daytona 500 at 3 p.m. East Coast time, and after getting in a handful of laps, they had substantial rain delays that led to the loss of the majority of their viewers. So we're back to the discussion again of should they start not just the Daytona 500, but races in general earlier to allow for a better opportunity to get more racing in before the afternoon rain comes at Florida, which seems to be a fairly regular event there. Okay, Andy, you're up. Oh, I got to go first. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah, I, you know, the obviously the ratings were disappointing. Uh, the Daytona 500 is Star Car's biggest race, and you know, it's unfortunate to see the results being what they were. I thought there was quite a bit of hype and excitement going into this race, but, you know, obviously it only ran 15 laps and then had a nearly six hour delay. And, you know, I saw some, I saw some issues that kind of arose as a result of the delay, um, which would be detrimental to the, the average fan. And, and that was just knowing when the race was going to come back on. Um, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I was out eating dinner actually during that delay and, and the clash was on it. And, and there was a lot of people that thought that was the Daytona 500 because not everyone knows the difference between, well, is it a road course? Is it an oval? You get, you know, this is a race where, you know, if there's one race a year where, you know, the average person might watch that doesn't normally know anything about the sport, it's probably this race. And, you mm-hmm. know, so a lot of, a lot of people weren't sure, you know, what they were watching is this new, is this old, you know, there was some confusion there for some reason. Um, And then, you know, unless you follow 
NASCAR media personalities, um, or you actually sat in front of your TV for the entire six hour delay, you know, and when I mean follow, I mean on Twitter to know uh, when the race was going to come back, you wouldn't know, you know, you would just automatically think, well, it's probably going to run tomorrow. Those are the two issues I saw, um, which probably lends itself to the, I mean, I can tell you right now, there were people that didn't even come back in the grandstands, you know, for the race because they probably didn't know that it was dry and it was going to run at 9 PM that night. So, um, you know, if people were willing to give up several hundred dollars seats, you know, because they didn't know, you can bet a lot of people at home didn't know either. So, you know, communication maybe, I'm not sure. I don't want to criticize anyone in particular because it's, I don't think it's anyone's fault in particular, but, you know, maybe there there can be ways to maybe let people somehow know that the race is set to resume at 9 p.m. I don't know. Um, you know, so those were the kind of the two things I saw from that. And then, you know, I, I know Jay's going to disagree with this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um and yes, I, I know it can rain at any portion of the day, but historically speaking, in the wintertime, you get mid-afternoon to late-afternoon thunderstorms. It happens practically every day, for, and has for years. And so, mm-hmm. if you can look at if you can look at historical weather trends and say, you know what, our best window is probably between one to four p.m. Well, at that point, you can pretty much get, if not the whole race in. But you know, we've seen a trend where if you if you're just barely getting a race started and then it rains and it does it time and time again maybe it's time to do something different so i don't know i do come from the era when races ran at one o'clock start times on sunday afternoons i'm not saying we always have to do that but in particular for races that have weather trends like that like florida does every winter all the time you know, maybe maybe we can try something different because the exact same thing happened last year and the race was postponed to the following day, and that's not good for ratings either. So, you know, I, I just think that, you know, it might be time to maybe move it back a little bit closer to where it used to be, and then maybe you have a better chance statistically of getting the race in completely. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Uh, it's not that I'm going to disagree with you, Andy. I think it is that, that NASCAR is looking at so many other facets uh, to include, including the West Coast. You know, that was the biggest thing. Um, One, they're looking at that as far as trying to find a reasonable time that it fits the West Coast, as well as of of an industry of, you know, NFL. They have games at 1 o'clock and 3 o'clock. Everybody knows that week in, week out. They were just trying to standardize it so it's not different per track. Uh, there are a couple of places where, yes, that certain things can become a factor. I cannot recall the specific ones, but I know there's been a couple where they tried to start it too early in the morning fog and, and dampness delayed it, so they had they were delayed anyway um, based on a morning dampness due fog or rain shower. So the only thing I can say in this case is the weather is unpredictable. There is no way they can uh, work around it because it is unpredictable. Heck, if they had a race in Mississippi right now, they'd have gotten iced out, if you can believe that, or Texas. So uh, you (laughs) never know what's going to (laughs) happen. So I think that they are looking at it, and I'm sure they are reviewing whether or not they should go back to an earlier start time for the Daytona 500 uh, based on the last two years. They're going to compare that to the previous couple of years of having made that change and what they get from West Coast viewership. 
you know, uh, you mentioned some of you sitting and watching all six hours of rain delay. I don't know who has the time to do that, but uh, it showed some things that I hadn't seen before. So <laughs> I got something out of it. <laughs> so we know one person that did that. <laughs> I, I, I will say that, I, and I know there was already, as soon as that first delay came, there was a bunch of blow up on Twitter, as people do, about whether this mm-hmm. Wild Cherries game show was going to delay or be delay what po- could be the return of the race, Fox stayed with it. Uh, uh, you got to give them a shout out. I don't know if it hurt them, it cost them, but they stayed with it. Yes, they did, and you got to give them kudos for that. Okay, I'm going to kind of take my turn, I guess. Now, were you done, Jay? Yeah. Yes, I was. Oh, okay. Um, here's the one thing that NASCAR has to do that fans neglect to do. NASCAR has to look at the bigger picture. They can't look at the microcosm of what's happening just from the fans' perspective. They can't because this is a business, and they have to operate it like a business. Uh, and if they lose that West Coast because they're running the race earlier in the day for the East Coast and nobody watches from the West Coast as a result of that, um, that's, that's huge for them. So NASCAR has to try. It, they've got a huge balancing act uh, and a fine edge that they're working on at all times. And Jay brought it up, too. There's also the broadcast. You know, some of these broadcasts, you've got all these different sports. You've got the Olympics during certain times of the year. You've got football during certain times of the year. There's hockey. There's there's all these other different things that are going on that when they put together that broadcast schedule, it's not just what NASCAR is doing. It's what everybody else is doing on that particular day as well. And unfortunately, Yes, we know that the rain comes every day at Daytona, but we also know that NASCAR has the ability to be able to get that race in. What they don't have the ability to do is to say, okay, it's raining now. We anticipate that we'll probably get back at this time, but what happens if the rain stalls? And then they sit there and it stalls, and they don't get started at the time that they were thought that they would get started. You can't really make that prediction until you know that you can get the race started. Um, NASCAR has a lot of moving levers uh, with the Daytona race. So do you, do you move the Daytona 500 from February from the season opener of of the Daytona 500, which has been the Super Bowl of NASCAR for all of these years? No. Um, Now, last year when they did move it to Monday because of rain, they had a huge following because people knew exactly when the race was going to be, and they tuned in on Monday night to watch it. Um, This year it was a little bit trickier situation. But, again, NASCAR's got a big, big picture that they have to look at when putting the schedule together. And unfortunately, um, there's a reason why they moved it from an earlier time, and it was so that they could include the West Coast viewers. So there's a reason why they're not doing it at that earlier time. And uh, they have to go with the time that's going to give them the broadest viewership for the reason that you just said, viewership was down this time. Was it NASCAR's fault that it rained? No. (laughs) 
It wasn't their fault. This time it happened to be a bigger rain. A lot of times it rains in in uh, Florida, and it's a brief shower, and it's here and gone. Uh, this time it happened to be a bigger shower. So, but they were able to get the race in on Monday. It's just that they couldn't predict exactly when that was going to be. And I, I do recognize that is a problem. And if we can get better at predicting that, that would be great. But, um, again, I think we have to give NASCAR a little bit of a break because this is a business, and they do have to operate it like a business, and it's their job to look at that bigger picture. So there's just so many things to take into consideration that as a fan, we don't have to worry about, but NASCAR does. So, Mike? I keep hearing about, you know, the West Coast, the West Coast, the West Coast. And based on the ratings, the debt juice ain't worth the squeeze. This year's Daytona 500 was, bar none, the lowest rated Daytona 500 ever. The second worst rated Daytona 500 ever was 2020 to include the Monday race, you know, the resumption of the race. And that was another race that was started late, supposedly to catch the West Coast market that then had a substantial rain delay into the next day. So chasing the West Coast market pushed them into a time window that climactically, yes, you can't predict the individual weather, but you can predict climate trends. And growing up on the East Coast of Florida, you could just about set your watch. It rains at 3 o'clock in the afternoon almost every single day in Florida. Um, so chasing that West Coast market has kind of bit them in that they have produced two races back-to-back that had extremely low relative ratings because they were chasing a market that doesn't exist. And NASCAR has a history of chasing fans that don't exist at the expense of fans that do. Uh, During the 90s and the 2000s, NASCAR went very deep into trying to invest in new markets, building new racetracks, giant, huge, state-of-the-art facilities, and these major market cities. And now those racetracks are struggling to even fill a quarter of their capacity because the market has moved on. And there's still a strong following in the southeast, but NASCAR kind of gave those fans the impression that they were left behind. So you go to Wilkes County, North Carolina, and everyone's still kind of a NASCAR fan, but they're still salty about losing North Wilkesboro Speedway. So chasing a fan demographic that doesn't currently exist it may be beneficial if they're able to get them, but it might be a net loss if they chase away the fans that they currently have. And by having that race as late as they did to try and placate the West Coast, well, we had a checkered flag that fell around 12.30 p.m. or sorry, 12.30 a.m. Eastern time. There's a lot of people who went to bed on the East Coast and didn't even watch the finish of the race because it was so late. So I get that they can't control the weather, and to a certain extent it's sort of unpredictable, but at the same time, Trends are definitely predictable, especially on the east coast of Florida. You can predict you're going to get a 3 p.m. rain shower almost every day in Florida. And you know what? Next year they'll do it earlier, and guess when it's going to rain? Whatever time NASCAR starts. Jay, you're going to take this? Uh, oh, wow. Thank you ever so much. Um, <laughs> All right. That's uh, Andy that's up next. I'm sorry, Jay. Okay, Andy's yeah, good. Let's next. go to Andy. Go to, yeah, good. Good call. Go to Andy. <laughs> Well, I know Jay's got plenty to say, and I don't, I don't have a whole lot to follow up on this because um, I don't really want to argue. But um, I, I, the only thing I can really add is if you start these daytime races earlier, you know, you've got more of a window to get it done earlier, you know. So 
I don't know. My opinion is I'd like to see Sunday afternoon races run earlier. And I realize that there's a lot to it that I don't know about because I'm just a dumb race fan. But, um, you know, I, I think <laughs> that there are trends that would indicate earlier races are better in certain circumstances. Okay. Jay? Okay. Um, They're in a tough position specifically with Daytona and the time frame it is. Uh, I would not dispute the the trend. I lived in Florida in the panhandle. Uh, You're right. I got off work about 2, 3 o'clock, and, you know, I was bound to drive through a shower on the way home at some point, uh, 10 minutes from from the base. So there is something to that. But I do disagree, and I will argue, if Andy won't, the chasing a market that that isn't investing. There is a reason they have become from a southeast regional only aspect to a national aspect, which is what brought national sponsors, which is what made NASCAR what it is today. I mean, we talk about that. Uh, the Fortune 500 companies that are investing weren't investing when it was Florida, Atlanta, or Florida, Georgia. Carolina run series you know there's a reason these sponsors are now investing in it because it does reach California Uh, Las Vegas I mean they got the the, for several years got the banquet so there is value in chasing these new markets do all of them pan out absolutely not again it's not something you can predict or guarantee but there is value in it and I think that we're looking at the result of that of NASCAR even back 20 years ago going, you know, Jeff Gordon is kind of credited with taking it to another level. I know Earnhardt kind of started it, but Gordon being the one to bring it to a a wider, broader national level. And I think that is very beneficial. So uh, from that aspect, I don't agree with that um, perspective of what Mike said. I do, however, understand myself being one of them of a little bit slighted as the true NASCAR fan all along, if you will. And again, I've only been in it for 20 years uh, or 30. So I can't even say there when it started, but yes, the, you know, certain tracks did, but there again, it's a business they got to do what's best for big picture. And there's some decisions they made this year, uh, last year to this year and that I don't agree with, but I don't have all the information. Uh, you know, I'm looking at it from my perspective. You know, Sharon, I know you share that of Chicagoland taking the hit. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. ones like that that we love, well, you know, we're in the same position then of the era that grew up with North, Wil- North Wilkesboro. But also NASCAR said, okay, we can, we got to have 50, 60, 70,000 in order to sustain the growth we're at. You can only provide 10 or 20. You know, I, I get that. So, uh, like, same with a lot of topics. we got to have faith in NASCAR, and I think they are looking at the big picture. I know Steve Phelps had made the comment last year or the year before of admitting they did alienate, I think is the word Mike used, uh, some of their older diehard true fans, and that they were going to have to backtrack a little bit and correct that. And I think they have in ways. So uh, mm-hmm. I think they're working on it, and, and, and I think, you know, again, the People have to understand it's not just about one section, one area. It is about, it is a national sport now. Yeah, and let me let me clarify myself. I'm, I don't mean to imply that fans are dumb 
okay, or that they don't have a, a perspective in what happens. All I'm saying is that NASCAR as a business does have to take a look at the bigger picture. As a fan, we don't we don't have to look at the bigger picture. We're selfish. We want to have things our way. And, you know, if we live on the East Coast, that's the way we like to have things is, is to accommodate our viewing uh, habits. But people on the West Coast feel the same way, and I know some very avid fans out on the West Coast. Uh, and, by the way, there are tracks on the East Coast that don't get filled when there's a race on. Viewership has changed. People are streaming. People are watching on TV more. And a lot of that has to do with the pandemic. Uh, a lot of people don't want to go to the track right now because of the pandemic. Uh, some of us are a little more comfortable with going to the track uh, and and enjoying the festivities, and I haven't heard of any repercussions from fans going to the track and enjoying those activities. So I I just think that, uh, that NASCAR, what, what you're advocating by catering to the East Coast is you're advocating for NASCAR to take a step back in their growth model. Their growth model is to include everybody and to grow their market across the United States and and to cater to the East Coast. And this has been something that I know has happened for a long time. I know when I first came into this board, it used to irritate me a little bit more. Um, but East Coast fans seem to think that they are the, the best NASCAR fans and everybody else is just a casual NASCAR fan. And I disagree with that. I think that there are passionate NASCAR fans uh, across this country. And there's they have racing roots in California, just like they have racing roots in South Carolina or North Carolina. Uh, they have racing roots in the South. They have racing roots in the North. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of avid NASCAR fans across this country. And uh, it's not just the West Coast that – have fewer fans in the seats. It's, it's the East Coast, too. And uh, a lot of these tracks are struggling to fill up uh, the seats. Uh, and right now, they have to limit the number of people in the seats because of the COVID pandemic. So I don't think we can say that that's, that's just the West Coast that that's happening. I think that's happening uh, throughout the United States. Um, but I still, I still contend that NASCAR has to look at the bigger picture. And as a business, uh, you don't want to stunt your growth uh, to accommodate one region. So I, I think that would be a mistake for NASCAR to do that. But I do think that they're treading a very fine line, and I think that you guys bring up some good points for them to take into consideration. But, again, it's up to NASCAR to make that decision uh, by looking at that bigger picture and what's in their best interest as, as an organization. So, Mike, you get the final word on this. 
I think we all want to see the sport grow. We want to see NASCAR reach as many people and, and engage as many people as possible. But there's got to be, like you, you described it as a fine line between engaging with those fans and, and testing the definition of insanity, you know, trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different <laughs> result. Um, so they've got two consecutive strong data sets that say a later start on the Daytona 500 is probably going to result in a net loss of viewership, East Coast and West Coast. Um, based on the ratings that they've had uh, for those two. So, you know, not just, you know, the Daytona 500 is one, one data point, but looking at other data points of, okay, what are our ra- uh, ratings in the Los Angeles market, San Francisco market, et cetera, those West Coast markets that they're targeting so hard, and have our efforts to target those markets with the later race start times that have resulted in rain delays over the past couple of years, has that resulted in any net gain or loss in total viewership? And those you are think questions NASCAR's that need to be asked. Doing that? Oh, I'm you sure really they think are. NASCAR's but, not doing that, Mike? I'm sure they are, but it's real easy to get into the sunk cost fallacy of, hey, we've tried it so far, we can't give up on it now. And at some point, you know, this, it, you see uh, ratings for individual races, but we don't really have the aggregate like they do. Um, so hopefully those decisions are being made and, and as being looked at, and they are taking steps that take weather into consideration as much or more so than targeting a market that may or may not be panning out in terms of total net viewership. But that's really all my my piece on it. Okay. Oh, let's see. Where are we at? We're already at 10 o'clock. Wow, we only got three hot topics in tonight. Um, But a lot of good conversation and discussion. Uh, So I guess it's time for us to do the roundtable. So, uh, Mike, why don't we go ahead and start with you? Yeah, Mike underscore is on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Um, Got an article live on Fan for Racing right now examining Kurt Busch on the hot seat, what his prospects might be for uh, the 2022 season and beyond. So if you haven't seen it yet, go ahead and check it out. Okay. Uh, Jay? Uh, You can follow me, Michael Hoosman, on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And I just want to give out, I know uh, Owen had a couple articles up. I really like them. And a couple of them was leading to another couple of hot topics tonight. Uh, I know that Mike brought up. We'll have to hit those, I guess, on Monday then. But <laughs> a lot of more hot topics to come, let me tell you. Yes, indeed. Andy. Uh, CB14fan on Twitter. And um, should be around possibly for Sunday's race, uh, for the race day chat. I We'll be pretty busy Friday, Saturday, but uh, looking forward to it. And uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty more to talk about Monday. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, Andy, I really enjoyed having you on as a co-host tonight. Thank you for stepping in and taking on that role. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, it's good to be on for the full show. It's always fun. And, um, you know, I'm just thankful that um, – Jay was able to help me out with my schedule and flip it around this week. So happy to do the full one tonight, and I'm sure we'll do some more in the future. And, Andy, I know we talked about doing a fan at the track since you were at the track last weekend. Are you you still thinking about that? Yeah, I'm going to be doing it at some point. Um, I went straight from down there to work, so I've been working. And, um, you know, I'm hoping to get a chance to at least get started on that this weekend. But, yeah, you'll see something about the 500 in the next, uh, hopefully next week or two. Okay, that sounds good. 
And uh, I am Van for Racing site on Twitter, Van for Racing blog and radio everywhere else on, on uh, social media. And, of course, our fanforracing.com. Uh, we put up uh, quite a few articles today. You referenced the articles from uh, um, Owens that were put up today, the winners and losers. I know that's always a popular one, as well as the power ranking. And then also uh, we've got uh, Sam's Recaps. Uh, that are up. And then I talked to somebody today. He's going to be a guest blogger uh, coming up here. He's doing an article on Ty Gibbs with his debut uh, that's coming up. He sent it to me already. I'm going to look it over and work with try to get that up sometime tomorrow. Uh, And uh, uh, we'll see what we can do there. Uh, If everything works out, then we'll probably make an announcement there uh, sometime next week. Uh, We do have guests lined up for next week on Monday. uh, We have these coming on board uh, for the show at 9 o'clock. And he is from Thor Sport Racing. He's racing uh, the Daytona Road Course this weekend in that number 98 uh, Thor Sport uh, truck. So we'll talk to him about racing on the road course on Monday. And uh, then also on Thursday, we have Daniel Dye uh, coming on board. He'll be on at 840. Uh, He's with Ben Kennedy Racing. He has raced at uh, Five Flag Speedway quite a bit. And uh, he'll be helping us uh, do the preview of Flag Speedway uh, for that ARCA East race that will be taking place there on Saturday the 27th. So uh, two two guests to look forward to for next week's shows, and uh, definitely looking forward to that. We had Nick Sanchez on earlier tonight. Uh, I thought that was a good interview uh, with Andy and myself, and uh, I really enjoyed uh, Nick's perspective on things. Uh, so if you haven't heard that, uh, you definitely want to go back and listen to that in the first half hour of tonight's show. So uh, with that, I think uh, we're ready to call it a night. I guess the shot, the only thing left is the shout-out to our listeners. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We do appreciate everybody for taking the time to listen to what we have to say. So with that, it's time. I guess we're ready to say good night, guys. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next. Enjoy the race weekend. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.